Mama's making Mimi's pizza on the stereo, singing about freedom. Bugs in the bedroom, big investigation. Danger to the nation. Search and seizure, better by a lawyer. We know your members, saw you undercover. Are you hiding evidence? None of this makes any sense. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three movie podcast for Wild River. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with... What? Not the movie we're doing. Oh my God, you're right. I did it already. Oh, jeez. Let's start over. My name is Tom... Oh, jeez. That's a slip. It's a Freudian slip that means something. See, it's not like the other Elizabeth Olsen movie where I saw it and it cemented the name in my head. Uh Uh-huh. We'll get to that in a minute. Anyway... This is the, the movie podcast for Wind River. We did River Wild, I'm sure, years and years ago. So ignore that first bit. 1990? Yeah, when we, yeah, we, yeah, early on in the days of this podcast. Anyway, I am here with Christian Murkowski from Alaska. Y'all can just refer to me as Cracker. And Kelly Wand with a Wind River tagline. The Rich Man's Breeze Creek. Breeze Creek. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, all right. Huh. What else you got? <laughs> it's tides, not all that's high. It's tides, not all that. Rivers don't. Rivers have don't. Yeah. Tide. I'm not sure if you know what a river is. Let's try one more. <laughs> Wind River, fire and earth not included. <laughs> uh, do we know for sure that rivers don't have tides? Yeah. Okay. Bruce. Wait, this sounds like a moon-related dispute. You're well, let's not spoil anything about Wind River. And let's Wait, I have more. Oh, Kelly Wan, there are more taglines. Sometimes there's more than three. Wow, what else you got? Break the wind, get the river. Huh, okay. That would fit on a poster. I'll give you that much. Rapists are tedious. Okay, that's my last one. <laughs> You spoiled things for me, Kelly Wan, by the way. What are you talking so, about? Were you there, Dingus, when Kelly was like, let me read you this line from The Opsis? Did you nope. hear that? Yeah. No. Yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit. So, but it's Dingus, gibberish. Don't spoil anything about Wind River like Kelly Wan did, and tell oh. us what we saw this week. All right. This week we saw Wind River, hmm? a 2017 action crime mystery thriller drama movie about the land of your on-your-own. It was written and directed by Taylor Sheridan. It stars Jeremy Renner, Elizabeth Olsen. I thought it was Sheila Woodley. Gil Birmingham. <laughs> that the, okay, I don't know. That, that's Martin. Oh, oh Lord, I would never have guessed he would have had a name like that. Okay, it's racist. Yeah, he was in Hell or High Water. Which one? Oh, my gosh. That's why his face looked so... Ah. I mean, he was the partner, right? Yeah, that's of course why his face was so striking for me. Okay. Yeah, striking. he's got this great way about him that, I mean, you can just tell just by his, like, I don't know. His well, he was, he, so, I mean, in this, he really proved himself as a great actor. He was just so sort of sardonic in uh, Hell or High Water. And in this, he just had so much gravity and weight to him. Right, uh, right. Exactly right. That's what threw uh, me. All right. So I guess who else was in this? I'm sorry. Go ahead. And it is. It, I, I always am surprised when I look up his name that it's Gil Birmingham because it doesn't seem like that should be his name any more than Martin Sensmeyer. That should be his name. Uh, but Martin Sensmeyer is in this as well. And so is Graham Greene. Uh, I, yeah, I was going to ask you what it's rated. Oh, Wind River is rated R. Well, come on. 
Really? Or strong violence, a rape, disturbing images, and language. They say that. Now see, that's just what that's what Kelly Wan ruined for me. He was like, "I'm going to read you the synopsis." So the rapist says, and I was like, "Kelly Wan, quit!" Because re- I didn't know that that was in the movie. I, I didn't either, until, and until I was reluctant. Until the first to, shot, I was reluctant to read that part of the rating, but I figured Kelly would spill the beans anyway. Right. Get yeah. it? No. No. Uh, all right, Kelly Wan, do you have? Because because one thing that the MPA didn't mention is the the rating doesn't take into account the horse inflicted violence on a child that occurs early on in this movie. Is there anything else? What? They, the horse. The horse attacks the child. There's a very violent horse attack on a child. It doesn't, it doesn't even touch him. It's it just totally fucking does. with him. As someone no, who does it, it does it. You flinch. Well, I get I'm I give horses their proper due because they're way bigger than me, and I don't command the high ground with them because I don't want to get up on them. So, I say nay. Yeah, I'm very sensitive to horse violence. Your so what else? What else did the MPAA miss, Kelly Wand? I noticed a couple things that mm-hmm. I found traumatizing just to me. Um, a fat man in cold, bare feet whines. Um, some rape and murder. And a reaction shot of a porcupine yawning. <laughs> I, I love that little guy. Yeah. Uh, all right. On Rotten Tomatoes, Wind River is at 86% positive reviews. Whoa. Metacritic gives it an average rating amongst various reviews at 73. Hmm. Cinema score is like, what? what? Wind River? No idea what that is. Never heard of it. We're not, we mm-hmm. don't, we don't know. Idiots don't go see this. We got nothing to say about it. It it only had a very limited release, and on its third weekend, it opened a little wider. Uh, so it's not something that cinema scored. I don't know, dude. Uh, when right. it finally did open wider, it made a three million dollar debut. Uh, came in at number ten behind Dark Tower's third weekend at number yeah. nine. So this is not a money maker. This is not a box office hit. This is a uh, a sort of uh, vanity, not vanity. You know, this is is this awards bait. Is Dark Tower awards bait? No, no. Is is Wind River awards bait? I mean, I could see this. Oh. Getting, I, I think Taylor Sheridan definitely is has earned his stripes to get a, a best original screenplay for this, right? Right. I think yeah, and I think we're rounding that corner yeah. of the year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they, before yeah, well, before we get more into this, Kelly Wand, just can you case, round a corner though? Okay, what? Uh, you can. That's what. Yeah, there are actually tools that do that. They round them off. I'm one of them. So Kelly Wan, why don't you why don't you now go ahead and spoil stuff in the movie more than you have previously? All right. So the chronology is important, just like in the movie. Uh-huh. Do you have a theory on what this would be called? Whatever this thing I'm about to do is. How about a wind river synopsis? <laughs> <laughs> That's not right, but that's my favorite thing you've ever said, and not just on the podcast. <laughs> and to be fair, I didn't call it a wild river synopsis, so I'm learning. I'm getting better. Mm. I guess we established it's not wind river synopsis. <laughs> that that we now know. But yep, it's also we had a, we had a couple of people synopsis. write in. We had a couple yeah. people write in to tell us that we were we were, how to pronounce Dumb? it exactly. No, I think that was implied. How many ways are there to pronounce river? Ask the Phoenix family. So, when Rivsis, some words are based on a true event. Some lions killed a steer out of, but out of boredom. 
While an Indian lady runs terrified through the snow from an unseen till later rapist, a little girl's poems all, snow falling on cedars is like God brushing his teeth, or maybe misaiming a shaving cream. Miles to go before I sleep. Every rose has its thorn. Snow. Beside me, an English professor stands up, pumps his fist, and goes, The poem's kind of rhyming. <laughs> what? It's not you, Dingus. Started a, it's like starting a wave. People are doing it in theaters all over the place, Dingus. Ever since you stood up and yelled nice in Star Trek, it's yeah. a thing now that people do. I don't know if now the word nice is universally used to to convey the word something that's nice to people. Remind me to tell you about a, you guys about a nice story later on, but go ahead with the synopsis. There's something interesting to me about the, the fact that you're pairing the word nice with a fist. Like, nice! <laughs> like, punch something nice. The poem's kind of rhymy, but I love the rape and terror. It's really cold-looking. That's the professor. The next day, some wolves look at sheep till Jeremy Renner shoots one of the sheep. The wolves lose interest and run off screen, tackling Jaden sitting two rows ahead of me with snarls, <laughs> criticizing his line ratings in Day of the Earth stood still. <laughs> Remember when that happened in the movie? Oh, the poor things that that kid has to deal with. I know. I guess it is Wind River for him. The next day, Renner goes to pick up his daughter, Carl, for horse intimidation class. <laughs> his name is Connor, Kelly Wand. Connor and Renner? <laughs> Connor, Renner. The kids all, hey, Dad, look what I can do. He sets his backpack at the bottom of the stairs for his dad to pick up, sticks the mouth of his rifle in his own mouth, and falls down the stairs. Renner's all. Never point a gun at yourself unless you mean to use it. <laughs> or if you just want to fuck around. Also, I fixed that top stereo. Now go get in the truck and start honking the horn and screaming. The kid's all, yes, Dad. She walks outside. We hear her go outside, fall down the steps outside on the porch, and the gun go off again. Then the tire of Renner's truck deflating. Renner's Indian ex-wife smiles in a sweater at him and goes, she reminds me of you at your current age. He's all, there's a blizzard coming. Should be good training for her. She wants to go into professional shivering. Hey, if you go into town today to buy sandals, be sure to take Frothing Bear Lane and not Loathsome Caribou Bridge. I might have them mixed up, though, so just take a plane. She shudders and goes, I'm never going near Caribou for the rest of my life. He's all, cool, bye. He drives the kid to an Indian reservation called Wind River, although there is no river. An upside-down American flag at the gate entrance signifies that the local Davajo are House of Cards fans. Renner meets an old Indian chief who's all, hi hi and he points to a nearby lion eating a dead steer. Some subtitles are all, My steer's dead, Jeremy. Would it help? <laughs> Renner's all, Never mind the rune dance there, has sex with beaver. We have to solve your lion problem. He sees his kid getting out of the car to join them and tripping over the rifle barrel. It goes off again, shattering Renner's windshield. Renner rolls his eyes and goes, Ugh, Here comes Fuckstick again. Tell him I'm busy adopting a kid who's super prudent with firearms and less androgynous. JK, 
Renner tiptoes off, then goes, Now to resume my professional job hunting for snow. <laughs> he trips over an Indian girl's dead body. He's all, hmm. He eats some nearby rocks, then sniffs the wind coming off the river. He falls into a hole. Then he calls a fat cop with a pencil beard and some chins to stand near the body with him. The fat cop looks at a deputy and nods. The deputy starts chainsawing the Indian girl's body in half to sell to a magician. <laughs> Martha Merriweather Mulan Mirkowski walks up wearing some leg warmers and a mitten on her head. She's all, hi, I'm in the FBI out of Fort Lauderdale, which I guess was the closest FBI place to Wyoming here. Could you guys please not chainsaw my crime scene? Thanks there. Renner's kids all, this was supposed to be my day shooting bunnies. Thanks a lot, dead girl. <laughs> Renner ruffles his face and goes, torn chainsaw, done this. He kneels and tastes some droppings, then runs some poison ivy between his fingers and wipes his neck and eyeballs with it. He's all, it was either a steamroller or a kangaroo with a candlestick. Mary Kate's all, hey man, can you join my investigation? I'm not a tracker. My specialty is opening doors to places with armed suspects inside them. He's all, also, them leg warmers ain't going to do you much good without bear grease and some fire. She's all, who are you? He shrugs and drives off. Later, in a coroner's office. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I can't call it a homicide if the victim's Native American and female. Plus, it's kind of cold out. Magdalene Jingleheimer's all, damn it, man, what about state regulations? He yawns. She rolls her eyes and storms off, slamming the door on him right before he's all... But it can call it a murder if you want. Hello? Oh. Guess she's gone. The blonde lady gets on a snowmobile with Renner. They go look at some trees. Then he takes her to go hang out with the parents of the dead girl. The Indian dad opens the door. He's all, Renner, bro, what's up? Also, last time you hear it was a sweat lodge, not a toilet. Renner's all, oh, there's some sweat on one of the there. Don't worry. They hug and man kiss. Then the Indian glares at Marcy and goes, You got a lot of nerve coming here, right, woman. She's all, Do you and your wife ordinarily let your daughter wander around and get murdered? He's all, She's an adult. Martha's all, Barely. You mind if I go annoy your wife? The Indian's all, She's an adult. Marlene's all, Barely. No offense, but you people can be kind of a burden to my people. She goes into the scissor room and finds the Indian's wife sobbing and slashing her wrists. She's all, Mrs. Buffalo Wing, your daughter's been murdered. On the upside, the police here are done with your chainsaw, so we'll just leave it in the sink. Is this a bad time? Hello? She gets bored and walks out to rejoin the men. She's all, try her again in five minutes. Not sure about her English. To celebrate, Renner takes her to his house to show her how to make cookies shaped like bullets. She's all... Boy, that was an awkward scene with the dead girl's mom today. I won't make that mistake again, being tactless. So I hear your daughter was murdered. How'd you let that happen? <laughs> Renner's all, my wife and I went out of town to have sex in a motel with a bear rug in a, you know, a little cosplay. My daughter had a party. Some people showed up and murdered her. After we got the call, my wife and I barely had the energy to keep going. If you have kids, just FYIW. Lincoln once kills him. 
She's all, well, I don't think blinking was the issue. Anyway, great story. Bye. The next day, they trick the dead girl's brother and his mischievous drug friends into macing them. Then they go to visit the mining camp trailer park where the girl's boyfriend, Shane, liked to sleep and entertain company. On the way over, Renner loses interest in the murder case and goes to explore a lion's cave. <laughs> the rest go into the camp. Some grinning douchebags with machine guns and guilty smiles greet them in a circle. One's all, hey, look, Chucky, cops. Sup, officers? Okay, bro. I'll kill the blonde. You take the fat one. Gary, I'll headshot these last two idiots. The friends all. Wait, the blonde woman or the man? The first guy's all. Um, none of the guys are blonde. So the woman, obviously. Oh, I couldn't tell their hair color because they're all wearing hats. First guy's all. Well, the blonde one's not. So you're dumb twice. <laughs> so, guys, right, that's why I thought it was weird. You didn't just go shoot the hatless one. First one's all. I said she was a woman also, which sets her apart visually even more than hatlessness. The second guy is all. Wait, the blonde's the woman? Magdazol. Uh, guys, if you could shut up for a second. I'm Fort Lauderdale FBI agent Magoria Marjorie Mordecai. Uh, look, we're looking for the iffy boyfriend of a raped and chainsawed Indian squaw. The fat miner's all, we didn't chainsaw her. The leader rapist is all, shh. The fat cop shrugs at Marlene and goes, well, they say they didn't chainsaw her. Our work is done here, cupcake. I'll just tell the coroner to change it to act of God. Although acts of God usually make God sound like a dick. We ought to change that phrase. It's like Satan or nature. The dumb rapist is all, you're a phrase. The lead rapist is all. It's a good burn, Gary. Good one. It's nice. <laughs> Another of the collapse looks over to grinning miner pointing a gun at the back of his head and goes, Um, do you mind? What are you, Renner's kid? Meanwhile, Renner finds a cave of bored lions. He's about to gun them down for dinner, but then notices a nearby human skeleton, so he decides to give them a pass. Suddenly, he notices some snowmobile tracks that lead from the camp to the skeleton. He leans down, tastes the snowmobile track, then listens to the skeleton. The lions watch him yawning. He's all, hmm, snow's so warm. Looking over, he notices the cops and miners downhill drawing guns on each other and decides to do nothing. Back at the snow mining camp, Magdazol. Okay, all right, people, that's enough gun horseplay to lunch. I'm with the FBI. Now, is Shane in that trailer or not? I intend to ask him in a firm tone if he's a murderer or rapist, like in Sicario and Walking Dead. She knocks on the door and turns into the Indian girl when she was alive, knocking on the door last night. I lean over to Tom and go, see, she's a werewolf. Shane answers the door in his underwear. He looks at her. He's all, whoo look at those. She's all, I want to do that thing to your ear that Benicio Del Toro did to you in Sicario, but I don't want to do it to your ear. They have tasteful off-screen sex with lots of squealing and crying, although not from the girl. Suddenly, the guy's dumb friends come in and start going through his refrigerator. Shane's all, guys, come on. Yesterday you ruined my family Thanksgiving and now this. 
The dumb short one sits on the bed, leers at the Indian girl, and asks her shyly to stop wearing such suggestive parkas and galoshes whenever he's around, and that he finds her flirtatious manner makes him feel uncomfortable. Over the ensuing few minutes, Shane and the Indian girl win what's known as a moral victory. The second the Indian girl's murdered, or within minutes of it, she turns back into Magdalene, just like the dying alien queen in Valerian. It's daytime at the end of the movie again. One of the rapists is all, Uh, yeah, Shane, uh, inside. You have an FBI agent standing in front of the door, about 5'8". <laughs> at that moment, from the ridge behind them, Renner fires, hitting Mary Magdalene in the stomach and flinging her backwards with the, what the? Renner's all, doom it. Giggling, all the cops and rapists whip out their guns and start shooting each other and themselves. Eventually, Renner walks into the camp, shoots one of the cops, leans over Magdalene and goes, Stay with me, Mildred and Moesha. Second thought, I'm going to go get a doctor, so I guess from Fort Lauderdale. So stay here. Here, put this snow on your wound to keep it warm. Sorry, that's a snake. On his way back to town to get a doctor, he stops off and visits his Indian friend, the dead girl's dad. Out of grief, the dad's wearing blackface. They sit under a tree for a while. The Logan Lucky characters drive by in a pickup cackling and throw some garage on. <laughs> wow. They throw some garbage on the Indian's foot. I, the okay. in- <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> the Indian looks over at Renner, a lone tear running down his cheek. He's all, would it help? As Renner starts to answer, some words are all, raped and murdered Native Americans are still classified as missing pets. You're all dicks. The Easter egg is me going to the restroom. It's a scattered applause. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. It was a tough I it, one. I can imagine, yeah. It doesn't really lend itself to making fun of, I, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Kelly Wand is announcing next Wait, No, Kelly Wand's 3x3 no. is today. Dingus is announcing next week's. So uh, I'll go first. Hmm. Give you guys my over-under. Uh, I love this. I... I you know, I really was happy with what Taylor Sheridan did with his Sicario and Hell or High Water script. Uh, so needless to say, I was super happy with the writing in this. I, I really think the guy has a uh, – he's got a unique voice, and he's not repeating himself even though he's in a very comfortable niche kind of, in a very comfortable – I was being snooty. I would call it a milieu. Uh, so I'm, I'm super happy to see him writing this, but I'm even happier that the guy – he's been a character actor for forever and now he's, he's, a, he's a writer he's obviously i think been around lots of uh movie makers that he he absolutely knows what he's doing uh i think this is very well written very well directed he's got a great cast for it um he loves to have people talking and i'm just so pleased with that in all of his scripts but i was super pleased with the kind of action sequence here i loved the setup and the payoff the execution of that standoff um uh so, yeah, I was super excited to have kind of an action scene and one with a great buildup with a lot of suspense going into it. Uh, so let's see. So for my over and under, my under is a movie super obscure called Three Priests, which is set in the same general area, although I think it's technically Montana. Uh, the actress who played Jeremy Renner's wife in this is actually the lead act. Well, one of the lead actresses in Three Priests, uh, huh. Julia Jones, and she's been in the Breaking Dawn movies. Um, so Three Priests is also kind of a 
you might say, Plains Gothic story. But unlike this, this is an investigation, a, a mystery. Three Priests lives entirely inside the actions and the emotions of, w- of what is going on. And it has an amazing uh, Michael Parks performance uh, at the center of it. That guy's great. I miss him. Sure. Uh, so that's my under. I actually like this better than Three Priests. Three Priests, it's a, a first-time filmmaker, uh, so it's a little rough. Not all the performances are great, but uh, it's, got what, it's got it where it counts. My over, I'm going to cheat simply because I had a hard time of thinking of something that fits into this motif that I liked more than uh, uh, Wind River. So I kind of had to cheat. Uh, a long time ago, and I, I wish I could dig up where I got this because someone who thought of it deserves credit more than I do. Uh, someone wrote, and I think it might have been Richard Corliss in Time Magazine, wrote about movies. Uh, there, there's kind of a genre of movie about simple people dying in the snow. And uh, he mentioned things like Sweet Hereafter. There's a movie called uh, – I think it's called Addiction, a, a Paul Schrader movie. I think The Gray no, would have implied Nick that. Nolte? Yeah, with Nick Nolte, but I think Paul Schrader wrote and directed it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Nick Nolte, and I think James Coburn plays his dad. Uh, so there's this genre of simple people dying in the snow, and in a way I think this kind of applies to that. But even more than that, what I liked here was the unique sense of place and conflicting cultures, uh, the unique resolution that this movie has, and also how good and how solid the cast is. And all four of those elements apply, and this is kind of cheating, but since we once did a podcast on a season of True Detective, I'm actually going to pick a TV show simply because I love this TV show. Uh, There's a TV show called Fortitude, which is set in a remote Arctic wilderness, and it's about – it has a very strong sense of place. It's very much about conflicting cultures. It's a crime drama. It has a, a unique resolution. It has a, it has, a, it has a very, very solid, amazing ensemble cast. So in terms of thinking something that's like this that I liked even more, I have to go to Fortitude and think of it as an eight-hour movie. Mm. Um, so those are my over-under, uh, even though I think I cheated a little bit. Uh, all right, who's next? Kelly, want Dingus, get in here. What's your over-under? All right, my under is a movie called Thunderheart, um, which actually I liked a lot for various reasons, but I, I just have a real thing for Graham Greene. Uh, I think that guy's great. Um, he's just got this great, quiet dignity about him. I loved him in Dances with Wolves, of course, um, and I liked him in that. Uh, and it's this... Uh, difficulty that uh an fbi interloper has in uh investigating a crime uh essentially it's a michael apted movie um for over um and i would put this i would actually put this higher much higher than thunderheart thunderheart's a little lower because uh, i really quite fancied this uh other than a couple of problems that i have with it i really i really liked it a lot um, over this, I would put Winter's Bone, um, mainly mm. because of something Tom was talking about as far as sense of place and also that sense of um, mystery of, uh, of somebody trying to find what happened to a loved one and trying to get the truth um, and also having to go into um, a culture, even if it's partly their own culture where they don't exactly belong uh, and they have to find ways to open doors that are difficult to open. Um, 
And I just love the sense of place in Winter's Bone. I love the way that the movie plays out. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, so it, it might be a little unfair to, to uh, try to put it next to this movie. Uh, but I did quite like this movie a lot. Hmm. Kelly Wand, are you going to be the voice of dissent and say you didn't care for this movie? Uh, I'd like to, but I do you're, like it. So you're going to let us down. Thanks, Kelly Wand. Uh, <laughs> we're counting on you. We needed someone to push back against, and you're not going to rise to the occasion. I have at least one issue with the movie. Okay, Dingus had a couple problems too, so okay, good. Because I, I, I plan to address these. I don't know what they are, but I'll go to bat for this movie. <laughs> for anything. <laughs> sure. It's flawless. Uh, no, but I'll still go to bat for it. Bat, going to bat for it. It's a sports term, right. Kelly Wand. I see. Um, well, my over and under theme was murders and annoying snow movies. <laughs> Where the snow's not enchanting, but it's like a hindrance and an irritant. But it also has something to do with how the case is with with the case's outcome in some way. Um, and so that's why I didn't pick Fargo as an over, is because the snow doesn't affect the resolution of the plot. <laughs> in Fargo, what are you talking about right now? That's why they can't find the money. <sighs> Have you seen – by the way, Fargo spawned a whole other movie about that money. Did you know that, Kelly Wand? Which one? There's a movie called Kumiko the Treasure Hunter about a woman right. in Japan who finds a VHS tape of Fargo and doesn't realize that it's not real. And so she goes on a quest to find that money. It's a great movie, huh. by the way. It's a, the Zellner brothers, these guys out of Texas. Uh, so uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I cut you off. So you, you're not picking Fargo even though it has spawned a TV show and a whole other movie. You're not picking it. I'm not picking it because Fargo is sort of its own thing, and it it sort of it's it's it doesn't really fall into a genre. Okay. For me, it's Fargo, and other things fall into a Fargo genre. So my over would be Insomnia, which had a movie where the snow was making the ins the main character uh, make dumb decisions for most of the movie. The Nolan yeah, was, one or the original just one? Just for Nolan one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Nolan one's the only one I've seen. Oh, it's Are they too different? Bad. Oh, we were joking. Yeah. Uh, they're very different. And, uh, I mean, the Nolan one is fine, but uh, and, Chris, and Robin Williams is great in it. But uh, the original one is, is uh, amazing, I think. Yeah, it's it's superlative. I, I, I don't know that – is there a lot of snow in it? I remember them running on logs yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, the, the logs, right? Kelly Wan is making See? up snow. He's, yeah, he's there's no mis- snow in in that movie. <laughs> no, there might be some like on mountains or something. There might be some melting snow in the background. Okay, my over Fargo then, <laughs> and then my under, <laughs> which doesn't have snow in it either, apparently. <laughs> right, it's a, it's weekend at Bernie's, um, and then my under is a simple plan. Ah, simple That's people dying snow, yeah. Because I have the same issue with this, with the simple plan that I have with this movie, and in a simple plan, it, it looms larger as an issue. While as in this movie, it's dwarfed by other things I really like. Um, like I really like the acting in this movie. Um, but for me, the weak point, it seems like the guy who... Hold that, hold that thought before we get into weak points. Uh, so, Kelly right, Wan, right, you, right. Uh, Dingus and I have, uh, I think, done a lot of work on getting you to appreciate actors. So tell us about yeah. why, what, why you like the acting in this movie. Let's hear what, what 
you thought of that? What, what I like stood Jeremy out for you Renner's. Mm-hmm. I, I have a new... Uh, I'm newly gay for characters who talk really softly. Like mm-hmm. they have something really bottled up. I really like that as a, as a choice. Mm-hmm. And I really like it in Renner's character and how when someone says something like something really impassioned, he just kind of nods. But he's taking it in. But he's not being expressive and, oh, hey, it's going to be okay. But he just kind of like nods and goes, all right. It's a great example of a of how a performance involves listening, I, I think. Right. Like, like Renner's so empathetic, and mm-hmm. there's this kind of like, like warmth to him, and you know, and he's still got that, that tragic hangdog quality. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great example of a kind of an underplayed performance that's just written well, and he just lives very comfortably in it. Yeah. Right. And then that first time uh, when he's talking to the ex-wife and saying, hey, you should take this route and not that route. She's like, well, I'm not going to take that route ever. And then he's like, okay, well, good luck, and then leaves. Like, that could come across as cold in a, in a lamer performance. But I saw what he was doing there, and I in, in immediately gravitated to the character and his worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Like, his approach works for him in, in coping with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that. I, I empathized with it. Who else um, stood out for you? Who else did you like in this? Uh, Elizabeth Olsen I like too. She's um, she's good, and I like that she she instantly wants him to help her. Like she has no compunction about territoriality or like um, like she knows she can use him instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then am I forgetting somebody? Who's good? He likes both of the leads. That's a good sign in a movie when both of the leads are good. Yeah, I like Shane too. I liked Bernthal. I, you know, I've got. I, I just have. I used to be super annoyed when he would show up because it's like, yeah. oh, he's so, he's trying to be so southern and, and good old boy. And but right. you know, it, he's he's really grown on me, and partly through Walking mm-hmm. Dead and through his other appearances, uh, I really like now when he shows up. So I was super glad when he showed up. I loved how it kind of turned on its head. Yeah. You thought he was going to be one of the bad guys, and, right? And and I love too how he he's a he's a super virile tough guy like yeah. when you when you kick John Bernthal's ass in a movie that says a lot about mm-hmm. you it's like Benicio yeah. del Toro and Sicario so I like the fact that he just got just just run roughshod over in this like yeah. that's that's a kind of a that says a lot about how savage these dudes were when you yeah. when they when they take down John Bernthal like that wow right yeah yeah and he goes down for her like yeah. he gives as much as he has to give. Yeah. Um, it kind of maybe this is a weird analogy, but I was always really moved by when there was that Dark Knight Rises shooting in Colorado, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the boyfriends saved his girlfriend by taking the bullet for her. Yeah, and I always thought that was like, I don't know, it's poignant to me. Well, it was a, yeah, it was a very definite sacrifice, and it's something too that the movie, like we were expecting that he was going to be the bad guy, and then when you find out he got killed, like you don't. Like the whole thing, it sets up this really savage, horrible thing, and to discover in the midst of this savage, horrible thing that kind of nobility, that that sort of self-sacrifice is a a very nice piece of writing, I thought. Yeah. 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 And how it makes them better at their job. Yeah. Yeah. Thing is, who stood out for you? Like, what what else? So let's talk about some of the other cast members. Who'd you really like? Um, My favorite person – first of all, let me just say that um, I – I love Jeremy Brenner in this, but at least two of our listeners, uh, Chris Markinson and Chris Webb, don't like him. Ah, oh, interesting. They, they in this movie, not. or just generally, uh, in, I think in 
I think in general, they're just not fans of him. Right. Um, and then we have a, another listener, Arthur Jovangeli, who, uh, who says he thinks that, and I'm not sure what to do with this, an aspect he could see turning viewers off is the use of Renner and Olsen as the leads. It worked for him, but ultimately it worked for him, but he could see it bothering people due to gender and race issues. And I'm not sure what the gender and race issues means other than the fact I mean, that she doesn't have a lot to do ultimately other than get saved finally and get told that she survived and maybe he should be it, it, also a first nation is, is something that I want to talk about in a little bit. Cause this is something Chris Markinson says as a term rather than saying native American or Indian is, as uh, we've heard so far. I wonder, too, if uh, Arthur Giovanni is bringing up this idea of the, the great white, like the white savior uh, oh. saving the Native Americans. And and there is this sense, though, that like it, it, there's this sense definitely that he's he's an outsider who has worked his way in, like that he's not really one of them. Uh, racially, but that he feels at one with them, like he belongs there versus the the mining guys and the guy who complains about the snow and the silence. Uh, so it, it's not like it's not like you know a western where John Wayne comes and saves the Native Americans or something. Uh, okay. But I can see why that might make some people uncomfortable. Um, but I think too, you know, I mean, consider too, Taylor Sheridan himself. Uh, I presume he grew up in this area, but he's a super white, good-looking dude. Like he's a he's he's a, he's as cornbread, he's as white cowboy as could be. So I'm assuming that a part of why his scripts, I, I'm assuming that his scripts come partly from his own personal experience. And I kind of appreciate that he's not trying to write necessarily from the perspective of Native Americans. He's writing an observer's perspective uh, from the outside. Um, right. Right. So, uh, so, uh, so, and also, I, the, the, the uh, Jeremy Renner, Elizabeth Olsen thing, I didn't realize this until looking for pictures to post with the uh, podcast post. Uh, I'd forgotten they were both like superheroes together because none of yeah. that registered for me. Like oh, her, yeah. Witch and Hawkeye. Yeah. Until I saw pictures. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> they've, they've been together before, but they were wearing goofy costumes and didn't have much to do. So. Try to avoid posting those pictures if you can for this particular movie. Posting what pic? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Of Scarlet Witch. That would be great if you could not do that. And Hawkeye. Don't forget Hawkeye. I wonder, oh, too, if that's why people might be uh, less enthusiastic about Jeremy Renner. Is He's had a lot of thankless stuff to do in blockbuster movies, whether it's yeah. Matt Damon in the Bourne movie. And I thought he was lying in that. But he, he does a lot of sort of sitting around in the background in Marvel movies. I, I think. But for her. We should intrigued when it's a character-driven role, where it's not something like a Bourne movie. Well, he can certainly handle it, and that's, you know, when you ask about the things that stand out for me in this, as far as performances are concerned. This is some of his best work. Is the way that he handles those scenes, and Gil Birmingham handles those scenes. Those two scenes, but in particular, that first scene where it's all about pain and how you manage pain. Um, mm-hmm. where he's talking about um, where, where these two fathers who've lost daughters are having this discussion. And your point, Tom, about his ability, Jeremy Renner's ability to listen, um, which I think is really incredibly important for an actor to be able to do, and some actors simply don't bother, um, and his empathy in those moments – 
because mm-hmm. he's in so much pain himself still. And his advice, I just, I love the writing in that scene in particular, uh, where he's saying these lines about um, not denying the pain, basically, uh, and visiting his daughter, telling Martin to visit his daughter in his mind. That's the only way you're going to be able to keep her and, and, and um, not denying the pain, but, you know, not necessarily em- embracing it, but dealing with it in a different way. That, that scene in particular between the two of them, the two of them work together so well in that scene. It's one of my favorite scenes that I've seen this year, I think. Um, that understanding of how two fathers may talk to each other who've lost a kid, that only these two people, not only these two people, but in, uh, in their world, in their circles, in their Venn diagram, um, they might be the only people they know who have had to deal with this particular thing in this particular way. And him just him saying to Martin, you, you just take the pain, Martin. You take it. You hear me? You, it's the only way you will keep her. You take the pain. Um, and then that thing about allowing yourself to visit her in your mind. When, when you've just seen the, this horrible moment with the, the mother, uh, you know, cutting herself and – and, and just these, all these relationships could, could go south very quickly. Um, and they could just, you know, kick the FBI agent around and push him out or all of those things. But instead, Martin and, um, Corey is general, uh, is Jeremy Renner's, uh, character. Martin and Corey have this very touching moment and these two can just handle it. Um, and they just have a weight to them. And I think you mentioned um, earlier, Tom, that Gil Birmingham just has this gravity about him. That, you, that uh, And I like the way that you contrast it to how he was in Hell, and High Water, Hell or High Water. So uh, I'm, I, I'm most crazy about Gil Birmingham. I think Graham Greene is funny in this. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Olsen is fine. But Gil Birmingham is, for me, just the standout. One of the things that doesn't really exist for us in uh, – I, I want to say America. That's not entirely true. But I think one of the things that has fallen away from most people's culture is something that was observed pretty sharply a couple of mo- moments in this movie, and that's this idea of ritual grieving. Uh, and yeah. I, I, I loved how that was highlighted and how that's something that that most of us, I think, uh, just don't have as part of our lives uh, because we've lost – touch with traditions or because uh, for a lot of us, there's not religion to fall back onto. But that was really stark in this movie, this idea of ritual grieving and uh, and seeing that realized in different ways. Yeah, it was intriguing to contrast his take on that with Casey Affleck's take in Manchester and to see that kind of a character in like a murder mystery setting as opposed to... Very nice, Kelly Wand. Yeah. 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 That's a great connection, Kelly. That's Um, great. Because my own grieving process is kind of similar to what Renner was doing. Like, I kind of don't talk about it, and I look for the practical, like, don't take that route, and then 
I well, don't know. It's kind of cool that even to though giving comfort, even yeah. though he's like a tough guy and he's he's uh, he's pretty stoic. Like he went to this this grieving uh, counseling and right. he, he took something yeah. away from it. Like he, he yeah. was he was open to it. He wasn't like, yeah, I went. And it was no good. That's what a, a normal t- tough guy movie character would do. He went right. and he heard something that stuck out in his mind yeah. that, he, that he used and that he passed on. Uh, I loved that idea, that touch there. Yeah. And we see him being very vigilant as a parent with his son to like like never neglecting his duties yeah. to to show yeah, him something and that stuff really i found that stuff really uh really moving uh the, the early stuff where and you brought this up kelly where he's talking where he's telling his ex-wife well, this is the route you should take uh and i really loved the horse stuff <laughs> i mean i love the horse yeah. stuff uh i really loved him teaching his son um how to approach the horse and how to make the horse yeah uh, now you and now right. you've got the I, I mean i loved all of those things and even the moment later on where he is apologizing to his son saying i have to do some more work and the kid's like this is our day yeah and him saying i promise well it's not a promise you can keep you should almost never tell your kids you promise um but he's between a rock and a hard place, and he's trying to be the best dad he can in this moment of exigency. Um, and that really touched me. And then to be sitting there with Martin and also sharing those things, and then later on to be saying, look, you still have a son to look after, just as just as he does. I mean, he has right. to deal with those things, too. That, that last scene where um, Martin is in his death face paint um, – I love it's, that he made it up. Yeah. That was that was yeah. such an endearing yeah. touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know he's just sitting there and wallowing a little bit, and there, there's this one, there's this wonderful poignancy about that where we're allowed to laugh a little bit um, and feel a little bit of what's going on there, but there's still that like that I'm I'm going to sit here for as long as you need me to sit here. Uh, yeah. That's so touching to me, and that I love that relationship between those two men. I never cringed during this movie. <laughs> I did a what? couple times. I, I, yeah, I there did. were. I have a couple of. Well, no, no, no. I don't mean. I mean it. it uh, I did some good writing, bad writing stuff. There are a few oh, things okay. in this that I. You guys have your issues with it. I'll. I'll maybe defend the movie there, but I do have some bits where I think I, I wish Taylor Sheridan had done another pass. Hmm. Of dialogue. Interesting. We'll Very see. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, Kelly, Wan, you mentioned that you had a, a, a. I think you said it was an issue like you had with Simple Plan. Yeah. Uh, what what was what was your uh, issue here? I don't wait, like wait, movies wait. like. Oh yeah, Dingus, yeah, Before that, Tom, did you share if there was anybody that stood out for you other than? Well, I do love Julia Jones. I I really oh, okay, yeah. uh, okay. I I think she's a beautiful woman, and I just definitely remember her from Three Priests. Uh, I uh, everyone like even the even the bit parts, the guys playing the miners, whoever the leader was of the miners, like he was pretty striking. I liked what he was doing. Um. But I mean, it's, it's just really solid ensemble cast. Yeah, uh, I, I watched for the three by yeah. You know, I watched for the three by three a couple of movies this week that were you can imagine based on the three by three. But it, it's to me kind of a miracle when there's no weak link in a cast, and and that's it. That's coming from someone. Dingus, you and mm-hmm. I have a background with acting. We pay particular attention in almost any movie i can think yeah that guy's not quite working so i love it in a movie where that just never really happens um, right you can yeah. focus on other things yeah 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 uh, and and maybe too that's just because taylor sheridan had a career as an actor before he started writing so mm-hmm. yeah all right so kelly on what is the a simple plan issue 
The simple plan issue, and one, this is maybe, this is an example where, in, in Wood River they do it too, but it's not as egregious to me as in Simple Plan. The thing that threw me about Simple Plan is that the characters started getting really dumb, like mm-hmm. as the plans went on. Right. And they <laughs> seemed to it would throw be, the it would, fight. It would be a much shorter movie. If right, right. There's a really go, long setup where they're trying simple to on me. game their the, their third guy who's touchy and stupid, and but they overplay their hand really dumbly, and so they wind up killing him in a, in a kind of in a what feels kind of contrived. And so in this in when Wind River, uh, when they come in and the guy's sitting on the bed. Um, uh, John Berthal goes, are you going to let him do this? Like, can you get him off my bed, please? Like, right. that's something that he's used to doing, that that's happened before. Um, and so it seemed rather sudden and surprising that, like, because she's not scared when they first show up. She's just, like, kind of annoyed and trying to make the best of it. Like, is this person now a rapist murderer because... Right. You know, it's kind of thin. It's 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 introducing a super extreme element into a movie right. that so far has shown us pretty reasonable characters in a reasonable, realistic setting. Like it has yeah. to introduce this almost pure evil. Uh, and by the way, that's one of the things I love about uh, nocturnal creatures, animals. animals. Animals is you know that's you know in a movie you've got to introduce the super evil person to create drama. And I right. love what nocturnal animals does with that with that idea. So yeah, Kelly Wan, I'm with you here, but let me. Let me suggest something. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if maybe the movie uh, wants us to kind of think that people who aren't from this area, people who are used to the city, you know, I love that bit where he talks about, yeah, you get luck in the city. Out here, you just you surrender, you survive. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder if we're, we're, we're maybe should give the, the extremes a little bit of leeway by thinking that maybe these men who came from the city to work in a mining camp – it drove them a little insane. They weren't yeah. pirate, like it, it turned them into beasts. It stripped them of their their civilization in a way. Right. Uh, I wonder if maybe that's what we were kind of getting at. Uh, I guess so. It was cabin fever, and that's right, what right. the guy basically admits to. Exactly. Like, exactly. You can't take it anymore. But it's does, like, does he, does he actually yell, "Where's the fun?" At one point. I think so. Yeah. Like this when you would say, "There's like just him. snow and silence." Yeah. Yeah. Right. What, yeah. What is there? Fun? Yeah. By the way, Chris Markson agrees with you, Kelly, and, and he says, uh, "Well, he—I mean, he really liked the movie uh, quite yeah, a bit." Yeah, I do too. One of the things that he said was, "It does seem strange that the other guys would be so much on the side of the drunk rape." Not one backs up Bernthal, rather than the John Bernthal character's side. He, yeah. And so Chris, Chris is with you on that. He doesn't have a friend in the bunch. It just seems unconvincing, right? Off the bat, like they all work together. Like I don't know. Because he I mean, doesn't it, seem like a hard guy to get along with, and the other guys, a, a and he seems buffoon. much more alpha than any of them. Right, yeah. exactly. That's why. That's what I was talking about before. Dingus is seeing yeah. John Bernthal. He's kind of the quintessential alpha male in scenes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right. So I don't know. So that's my biggest complaint, and, well, and so a simple plan is like that too, where it feels contrived, and I'm not buying that this happened this way. Like right, this happened right. this way because the movie needs a murder. Right, but in real life, people would talk things through a little more. Well, that's kind of too because I think what it's setting up is this idea. Um, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that in uh, Native American areas, there are there's there's specifically like Native Americans grapple 
more difficultly. Like they grapple with issues of alcoholism, and right. I think that might. I don't know, and I, I feel terrible saying this without being sure. But I wonder too. I don't know if I heard this or this is a terrible thing to say. But I also wonder: Does that also apply to uh, like spousal abuse issues? And I don't know if that's right. the case. I don't know if that's the case at all. But I. I I think part of what this movie is playing on is this idea that, oh, some guy just beat up and murdered his girlfriend. Uh, yeah. You know, that happens in rural areas where people are drunk right. and dumb and, and redneck or whatever. So I think it's yeah. playing on that, and that's why I kind of like that it introduces – It's misdirection. It introduces this incredibly noble element that kind of sure. has to be countered with this super contrived savage element. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you guys there, but I think it's a dramatic construct. It's super effective. It oh. works. It's a great cut, and I like it's even the casting is good too because the last few couple times we've seen Bernthal, he's been a weasel. So we have yeah. reason to go, oh, he's going to yes. fuck her up. Ah. But yeah. their, te- their scenes together is so tender and so authentic. Yeah. And then when they all come in, I don't know. Well, Chris Markinson does also, he, he talks about First Nations people's treaties because he's from Canada. Uh, and he talks about the treaties and how the the, reser- the reservation model has been a failure up there. And to your point, Tom, and I imagine that since most most women statistically are murdered by those who know them, and yeah. a lot of that is domestic violence, um, he's saying that some of these treaties between Canada and First Nations have created more problems than solution. And missing and murdered First Nations women are a big problem, especially in his province. Okay, so I I think that. You're onto something as far as when you're talking about domestic violence in that way. Now, but they're what you, they're also they're they're not just uh, like one guy rapes her, and then the the rest all beat their friend to death. But they're not only signing on for that, but when a bunch of cops and an FBI agent show up. Their plans to shoot them all, <laughs> like they're well, it's going not just in one guy rapes her, another guy says either. it's my turn. I mean, there's right. intention there. It's not like, oh, why is he raping again? It's it's my turn now. I mean, well, right, right, but the, they're the still issue, at the camp. The issue is that they've murdered their friend. Uh, right. I, I think that's and and the fact that they're then oh. going to gun, gun down a bunch of FBI guys. But I think what it reminded me of. Uh, so you guys know, I guess this was like a year or two years ago, that the, there have been these standoffs in places like Oregon and I think Wyoming, basically from all these, these yahoos who believe in citizen sovereignty and their anti-federal government. Uh, and there was this huge standoff for a couple of months. Uh, I think in Oregon, this guy, Eamon Bundy, was – I think he just wanted to be able to graze his cattle on federal land and the Bureau of Land Management would like take his cows and impound them. So they staged a big old sit-in and they basically armed themselves and occupied this this natural preserve up there. And the FBI was like, uh, okay, that's dumb. We're just going to wait you guys out. And they did. They sat off for two months, I think, uh, before they finally arrested the guys. They would even let the guys drive in and out. You know, they were just sort of maintaining the perimeter, oh, yeah. and finally mm-hmm. they were like, "Okay, we've had enough of this. We're going to arrest you guys. This is silly. It's time to put an end to this." So, I, I wonder. There's this in this part of the country. It seems uh, there's this idea that yeah, the federal government's jerks. We need to take up arms against them. So that's what I was thinking of with this whole windup, right. where they show up and they've got the guns. And I love too that one of the cops is totally wise to what they're doing because yeah. he probably yeah, has that same mindset. I love that. He's like, "What the fuck are you yeah. doing? You're flanking me." And he goes, right, like, what? Yeah. "Like I love," and because I don't think obviously Elizabeth Olsen doesn't know that. I'm not even sure. 
the the other cop like it seems like it's these two guys of the same they come from the same mindset they yeah. understand each other super well and they know what's unfolding and we yeah. as the audience are watching them knowing and going wait what really this is what's going to happen right uh, and it seems outrageous uh so that's kind of why i love that there's an understanding between these men that this could be the way it goes uh, I, I, very, it's very frontier in a way i love that scene and i i want i was i found it very uh convincing but then after that is it convincing that all the cops suspicions are lulled till the, it's too late after that well she once calls they stand down. down there's this great right, moment but where that they, guy i think that tom's talking about says debbie did you see that did you you didn't see that I mean, yeah. he's he's saying kind of he's giving voice to what Tom's talking about. He's like, you didn't right. see what yeah. just happened. Yeah, yeah. But now he they knows. should be expecting an ambush. Well, I do well, think that uh, here's the I, I was a little curious, and this might address what you're talking about, Kelly Wand. What does Renner find out that he radios in? I thought he saw the skeleton had been dragged there, and so he knows they killed the boyfriend and gave him to the lions in the hope that the lions would look yeah. like the lions had killed him. Yeah, he so, understands the like it's it's what he says to her. You, you know, you're looking for clues, but you're uh, I forget what the, what's the line. You're looking for clues, but you're missing the um, not details. destination. It's a, no, no. Here, this is one that I had an issue with. I know you're looking for clues, but you're missing all the signs. You're missing the right, signs. right. Those are synonyms. That's bad writer. Taylor the, Sheridan. Those are not on. synonyms. Clues and signs are pretty much synonyms, synonyms, Dingus. Yeah. <laughs> what does that even mean? So I the, mean, look, it's, sign, it's one of those things. The movie miss. signs are the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Good point. But it's so it's one of those things. That it sounds movie. super cool when you hear it, and you're like, oh yeah, he's wise. But if you think about it, you're like, I'd have a follow up question if I was her. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell me the sign you're seeing. Now that we've already established you're the tracking genius. But but you're right, Dingus. So that's the the he he identifies human remains. Uh, with the lions, and then and then infers from that that they dragged the body up there. That's why they call them signs, Dingus. It's a well, little he, mammoth. Well, he does this this thing where he says, you know, uh, it, and this is very reminiscent of uh, of lines from um, not only the Gray but uh, from Fast and Furious five or six. I can't remember which oh, one. Oh, I know. This is another one I've got. Go ahead, Dingus. No, no, go ahead. You you're you got it queued up. Wow, I don't you know don't, what's happening. You, this is it. You don't catch wolves looking where they might be. You uh -huh. look where they've been. You look where they've been, which I think is forensic, and that's what he's doing. He's doing forensics. They're and they're like, I expect you to be at the at the rig, Corey. And he's like, You don't catch wolves and know where they've been. I mean, you don't catch wolves thinking where they're going to be. You catch them looking where they've been. But that's wrong. Go back there. Do catch wolves by going where they're going to be. You think, okay, the wolves are going to be yeah. there. If I want to catch them, I go there. I get what you're saying, Diggis. But it, again, it's one of those things that when you hear it, you're like, yeah, that sounds super wise. But if you're like a grammar nerd like me and you think about it afterwards, you're like, wait. <laughs> well, a he's minute. saying where they might be or where they definitely were. So maybe he's saying definitely past outright. Well, Diggis is right. I mean, it's basically a, it's a it's a line championing the importance of forensics. Uh, it, it made me stick and go wait. Right. <laughs> Kelly Wan and I are too. Dingus went with the intent. Kelly Wan and I are busy being legal about the words. The, yeah, the great. Well, that's why trackers right. look at trackers look at tracks and spore. I mean, that, yeah. that they're they're figuring out where the animal has pooped and walked. She never out. had like a comeback. Like, yeah, but you're too busy smelling the, the poop, and I She's am from Fort Lauderdale. What is she going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't there a Fort Lauderdale comeback for for? Yes, Frank. Hillbilly, Ice Hillbillies. Yeah. 
Ice hillbillies, awesome. Uh, Dingus, you said you had a couple of issues with this. What? Uh, what? what have we, is that what we've been talking about? The same issues? You no. Uh, my issue is basically with the rape, fla- uh, the rape flashback, which isn't really a flashback. It's more of a cutback because yeah. it's nobody's flashback. It's just and it's right. a trick. It's a trick. It tricks us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love I it. Loved, I loved the um, the moment of the of her coming to of uh, that little bit of somebody's knocking at the door and 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 these things are happening sort of uh, in parallel time uh, universes, you know, where they're both knocking at the same door but in different times. Um, and and at first it's a little jarring. What's going on here? Uh, and I didn't necessarily recognize Natalie. Um, I didn't know what, what was going on with John Bernthal. I didn't know he was Matt yet. And he makes her stand out there for an ungodly amount of time where he, he stands there naked. Uh, and they banter a little bit. And then he finally brings her in and kisses her. Um, after that long being away, he should have pulled her in immediately. But they have a little cute dialogue. And I, I do like super into how, each other. I like how that flips around. I like how they're in. I like their demeanor in bed together because of that flip that you were talking about earlier, Tom, with his character. That oh, he's this, oh, he's kind of this tender dude. I mean, he still looks super virile and strong, and like he could take just about anybody. Uh, but he's just having this tender moment with his girlfriend. Uh, I think this, that's beautiful um, because it gives me a different sense of who Matt is. Based How on is this going to go hurt. south? Uh, but I didn't need the whole – it's not only that I didn't need it. I actively hated that whole rape thing. Uh, this is something that Chris Webb says as well. Uh, and he actually um, he actually equates it to torture porn, which I, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, because flashback was you're dumb, supposed safe, to unnecessary. Hate it. Yeah. Chris Webb says the flashback was dumb and the rape unnecessarily graphic for whatever this movie was. He, Chris, Chris Webb did not like this movie. Uh, but then again, it basically ended up being torture point porn movie at this, at that point. So I guess it fits. So I don't, I don't, you know, what I would ask you guys is obviously I think that you both like that. I, I wouldn't call it a flashback. I don't think that's what it is. I guess it's a movie flashback, but it's no, it's not a character flashback. It's just designed what? for us to get some character information. But what I What's don't like part, is how. It, yeah, well, yeah. But what I don't like about this is how it feeds into the movie, basically becoming rape revenge, a rape revenge movie, mm-hmm. um, which uh, genre I'm not crazy about. Um, rape is tedious. That, <laughs> it's not only that I'm not crazy about it; is that I actively dislike it, um, and I. It becomes that on a couple different levels. And I kind of respect the second level of it. I get it. Oh wait, for Kelly to stop uh, counting out poker are chips. You, yeah, are you sh- are you sharpening chopsticks? <laughs> I think he's putting some more poker chips down. <laughs> okay. What's that noise? I'm listening. Well, yeah, yeah, take us off speakerphone. <laughs> Good lord. Okay. So anyway. So anyway, um, that 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 part of the flashback and then it, the movie going in that direction really bothered me. Sure, I can totally understand that. I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, Chris Webb needs to see more torture porn because this is not torture porn. The whole idea of torture porn, Chris Webb, is the when you call something porn, it is it is something that is fetishizing that aspect 
to the exclusion of all else. It's that aspect without meaningful context. And if you didn't like the movie, that's cool. But torture porn is just a movie that glorifies in this gory torture stuff. And uh, if it's got a meaningful context, I think that excuses it from the moniker of porn. Uh, mm. And I would say this does have a pretty meaningful context. Uh, now, that context is uh, cultural, partly in this specific setting. But I think it's mostly narrative. And I can understand, Dingus, why you don't like it. It's kind of a... A rude surprise that we're going to watch a rape revenge movie. You know, we're watching a murder mystery, basically. Right. And for a, for a narrative reason, I this twist worked for me. It made me care more about the characters. It made me hate Pete more. It made mm -hmm. me kind of admire this idea of frontier justice that Jeremy Renner takes. Uh, it made me, you know, the context of ritual grieving for how different people deal with it and revenge how some people deal with it. And uh, Elizabeth Olsen's character representing the law, how she dealt with it. Um, I, I would, so I would say the context for this and the justification for it, even though Dingus it feels icky, is it just made a good story. Uh, and yeah, it feels icky. Rape revenge movies are icky. Death Wish is rape revenge porn. Fetishistic, hey, what if somebody gets raped and you get revenge on them? And there's no meaningful context. I couldn't even tell you in Death Wish, by the way, who got raped. I think it's his family. Uh, yeah, like no, that's not – the point of Death Wish is, hey, look how cool it is that Charles Bronson gets revenge. That stuff doesn't have context, and I think this does have context, and one of the important contexts is Taylor Sheridan's like, I got a really cool story that has some cool narrative twists. I'm going to tell it to you, um, and because I can completely understand being disappointed that it comes down to a rape revenge story. That's fair enough. So do you think the actual seeing of the rape is necessary? Uh, necessary. Let's see. I would say it's effective. But necessary? I, I no, agree. It's no. effective. Nothing is necessary. I mean, necessary is such a weird. Well, not, I understand what you're it saying. Is, it, you're uh, right. It is a weird. It is a weird word to use. But I would say. I'm, I would say justified. I would say it is justified. All right. As add because it's effective, uh, and because it does a lot of things. You get a lot out of seeing it. And it's frankly, it's not like it's super. I, I mean, you do see her rump at one point, but it's mainly like suggested. Like you see, like there's nothing. It's not prolonged, by the way. It's it's relatively brief. The actual rape bits, uh, and most of it is suggested. Like there are movies out there that have much longer, gross graphic rape scenes, like Irreversible. Um, right. And this is nothing like that. I think so. I don't want to call it tasteful, but it's relatively relative to a lot of to other rape scenes it's not that extreme it's not uh, that graphic anyway right right right. it's not that graphic uh but, it, but well, it's, it's it's even more disturbing to me because of that because of the way you know she's had her head smashed uh she's put on the bed and then uh, she starts to be starts to move and we all know what that movement is and right. she kind of dawns to the realization of what's happening to her right um and it and that is stomach churning for me um, yes. I understand what you're saying about it being justified, Tom. I just don't know. I don't it's know. It's supposed about to be stomach turning. Yeah, yeah, I know. I understand I think, that. I think it also explains too. Like we're supposed to now understand how does someone run six miles barefoot in the snow? You know, right. when when we see how terrible this is that happened to her, because this is what we're wondering. This is. One of the mysteries is why does this woman run herself to death? Well, I mean, why does this woman die running in the snow uh, instead of staying somewhere where there's shelter? Uh, and because something so terrible happened, and to make us understand how terrible it is, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of it. Um, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I, I have to admit um, I haven't seen this movie. 
because I got to the theater after the – Oh, that's uh, right. I saw you walk in <laughs> with yeah, your club because, of gear. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, there's dingus. <laughs> because a, a couple of streets were closed uh, that I wasn't expecting to be closed because we've had a fire in our area and a bunch of streets are closed here and there. And the route I normally take to the theater that I was going to for this today was closed. I had to divert and go around, and so I got there uh, a few minutes late. Um, so you missed wolf and sheep imagery, I think. Did you see him sniping the wolf? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Renner uh, hates wolves. He shoots wolves in a lot of movies. That's his job, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> uh, so, so um, Dingus, you basically just missed him uh, shooting a wolf and Taylor Sheridan giving us some pretty specific hunter or like predator-prey uh, footage of wolf, uh, wolves and sheep. Well, well, Chris Markinson says that the opening shot of a girl running in the snow was a little oh, jarring. I could that, only think yeah. of one reason why that would happen story-wise, right. and I was right. Right. Uh, that's That I have a question about, uh, and Dingus, you can't answer it because you didn't see it. Kelly right. Wand, was that Natalie or Emily we were seeing running? Ah, was so, was that was that Jeremy Renner's daughter, or was that uh, – Gil, not Gil. What was his name? Martin. Martin. Oh, Gil's the actor's name. Or was that Martin's daughter? Do you remember it Kelly was Wand? It was Martin's daughter, but Renner's daughter's poem. That's why I wondered is because we're hearing Renner's daughter reading her poem, right. seeing someone running, and it's later, I guess, that we realize. Here's another question I have. Uh, there's some specificity about who has run how far, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So when he says something about that's a warrior's way running six miles, he's talking about his own daughter, isn't he? I thought he was talking about her. Okay. Or, okay. Yeah. Because I thought that yeah. would have that was I I thought like he would I thought that was insight end, into the character that, that guy's not his daughter his daughter. No, end, no, I know to that other guy. You're only gonna get make six hundred feet. Right, right. But what I'm saying yeah. is, is he invoking his daughter's murder? Oh, I don't think so. Well, I mean, the guy would the guy would have no idea what I mean, he's talking about. So. Well, the guy doesn't know how far she ran, but obviously that, that's what what I'm saying. Like he's is, cutting him a bargain in quotes, like he says he is. What what I'm giving you a chance. What I'm wondering is because there is specificity about who has run how far, who is how far right. from the crime scene. And I'm pretty sure I could be wrong that when he talks about to Elizabeth Olsen's character about his daughter's murder, he specifies that she was found six miles away. When we're talking about. I thought he said she was found like 20 miles away. Oh, well, in that I'm, case. I'm certain it was 20 miles away. And, and it's, it very much seemed like a body dump kind of situation because uh, it was a party where this happened and it was i'm almost positive it was because then i was 20. wondering because i knew there were numbers involved i'm not really good with math so yeah i, you know, I was thinking it would be kind of cool if he unknowingly just that? subconsciously invoked specifically his daughter's death rather than the death that he was investigating when he was punishing Peter. to the bewilderment of his well, no he doesn't peter doesn't he's the guy's delirious he's frostbitten he knows he's gonna die like he, he's not doing the math Right, but if he, if I, if Renner had said that shit to me, I would have gone, wait, you mean five, right? Uh, why does he point at the sky before he dies? That's for you, honey. To his daughter, maybe? No! Why does, he, why does the rapist point at the sky Jeez. before he dies? <laughs> He's uh, asking God yes, for Kelly some help on the math. I see. But also, too, um, getting back to rape for a moment. At the end of the movie, there's that end text about Native American girls aren't reported. It's the only the only crime that's not reported, yeah. Right. So it's trying to make that case. So you need to see the rape to see where 
like to be to find that statistic horrifying. I then have another question then. Uh, so the FBI will investigate murders. I presume it's federal mm-hmm. land or whatever. That's the idea. They, they show up and Elizabeth Olson's like, we only investigate murders. If you don't list her cause of death as murder, we can't have the investigation. Am I not correct that the coroner does not infer criminal action? Like a coroner's cause of death ruling is a medical issue, whereas murder is a criminal charge? I would have thought so. Yeah, let's just see. I'm okay with that. I don't mind, but I might have written a little note in the the margin of Taylor Sheridan's script if he was asking me for notes. You know, the coroners don't make any – they don't – they have nothing to say about crime. Cause of death is a medical ruling. Because all of her medical conditions came about because – some guys were chasing her to death. You right. know what I mean? It's I think, a homicide. I think what Bye. that scene was supposed to show us, and I do think it does bend the rules about what a coroner actually does. I'm okay with that. But I think what it was trying to show us is uh, her being reluctant about following very straightforward rules. Like if she was a by-the-book FBI person, she would say, oh, well, you can't call it a murder. All right, going back to Vegas. You know, Good luck, you guys. It's, that's your job. Oh. We're, we're supposed to see that – because I was thinking, well, wait a minute, she's awfully naive if she doesn't understand the way the FBI works. But then I guess that's a, the point we're kind of making about her character is that she is 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 not a veteran FBI agent. She's the kind of person that would be sent out to this situation. I thought right. there uh, was a Wyoming thing in the opposite of what you're saying. Like he was going, hey, city slicker here in Wyoming, we don't call it a homicide unless yada, yada, yada. Well, I remember the the coroner or the medical examiner. I'm not. I kind of sometimes I blend those terms in uh, in Silence of the Lambs in West in the West Virginia when the girls pulled out of the water. Uh, he determines it wrongful death, and then the FBI determines. Okay, well, this is a homicide. Let's move on with our investigation. But wouldn't he say uh, she died because she drank? Well, okay, I mean, you know what? I don't know. I, it's just something well, that I I would have written the yeah. note to Taylor Sheridan, and he could have explained that to me. So maybe that was how that would have played out. Um, how do you feel about uh, – we've got a, a couple of listeners, and this is why I'm asking this because I don't know that we've talked – we've talked a little bit about Sense of Place. How do you feel about the the way the this movie deals with – specifically as far as Taylor Sheridan is concerned as a director? Um, because this is something Chris Webb says, you know, leave directing to the professionals, which I don't agree with you, Chris. Sorry. Chris um, Webb hated this movie. Um, he really didn't like it. He's being super uh, mean to Taylor Sheridan too. Yeah. Chris Webb, back off. We're we're, uh, we're Taylor we a, Sheridan fans here. We have a couple um, listeners who really responded to. I need to hear his case. The, the setting of the movie. Uh, one of those is a is a person named Lucas Necessary, <laughs> who uh, who used to write in as Hal Nine Thousand. Um, so the rape scene that. wasn't necessary, but continue. Anyway, um, he he talks about it being unremittingly harsh uh, and will break you down and make you want to never live in Wyoming. <laughs> so it sounds like he's he understands uh, this area. Uh, he gives it a four point seven stars out of five stars, and he says again, also please don't live in Wyoming. It's terrible, <laughs> and wildcats might eat you. Don't ride a snowmobile without a helmet, as you'll uh-huh. freeze your skin off. Thanks for the podcast, Hal slash Luke. He also wants to know what cookies you ate, Tom. But uh, I should say that that Hal 9000 has put a much more extensive post on quarter to three that he says I don't have to read here because he's already posted it in the thread. I haven't read that. But uh, but he's basically warning us not to live in Wyoming. 
It reminds me of that Sam Kinison uh, bit where he's talking about people living in Ethiopia where they starve. Why don't they just move? <laughs> like, and I've, I've always yeah. felt that way about – you know, if you've ever played the strategy game Civilization, don't – you know not to found a city near that tundra crap. Don't even think about it. Don't do it. It's going to be a sucky thing. You know, I, I guess the people who actually went to Wyoming didn't get that memo. They've never played Civilization, so they didn't know. Uh, no, they're next to a quarry or something. I do respect – I mean it, it does – I, I respect what that does to a culture, like the culture, the way a culture has to adapt to that, um, which is one of the reasons that I, I like uh, Fortitude, the, that TV show that I mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't live in Wyoming, but I guess some people, you know, it's it's hard to move. Moving's a pain in the ass. Sometimes you really get me started. Just like, yeah, just yeah, exactly. I'll just put up with another win- with a winter. Uh, you just what imagine I- them being trapped, and you imagine that thing that he says about snow and silence, and this is all they have. I mean, how are they? How are they going to get the funds together to move to California? Right, exactly. Snow and silence aren't exactly going for a premium if you're trying yeah. to sell those. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing to get murdered value. there. So one of the things that I loved about the uh, – one of my favorite bits of good writing, and Dingus, you might not have liked this. When they're talking about where to go, and there's the bit about, yeah, never go to Los Angeles. I always love those little nods, and I'm sure Taylor Sheridan, that that was meant for those of us who live here. He knows. Uh, But I loved when he's describing Ojai, uh, and this is something that – when when he talks about Ojai as a friendly town uh, with mountains around it, as if it's – as if it's protecting the town. Uh, that's a great bit of writing because imagine what that means and how that looks to people who are accustomed to living in the plains. You know, to actually have a city surrounded by mountains and it just feels like it's being sheltered or hugged or protected. Right. Uh, that was just a great little observation that I don't know if Taylor Sheridan had it. I don't know if he heard it somewhere. I don't know if it just kind of fell onto the page. But I love this idea that people who live in these harsh plains would respond to cities surrounded by mountains as if the mountains were protecting the town. Um, well, that's a great contrast, actually, to because there are mountains in this. Uh, and what um, – what Graham Greene's character says is, uh, you have to drive 50 miles to go five. Welcome to Wyoming. Right. Because yeah. they, they can't get over those those particular mountains. They're not doing what you say, Tom, which, what the Ojai Mountains do. They feel protected. Yeah. Right. They get Look, at all these things. <laughs> yeah. Look at all these things we have to climb to get out of here. Yeah. When they're surrounded by mountains. Uh, so Arthur Joe and Jelly uh, has also apparently grown up in harsh places. Huh. Uh, which I would not have uh, thought I, from his name, uh, but he said he couldn't get enough of the way this this movie looked and sounded. Your name determines your geography. Apparently, yeah, Christian Morosky <laughs> from California. It was all about empty space and cold, and he says I grew up around snow, so any time a movie wants to take place in harsh wintry conditions, I'm all in. Uh. There, there is something about. It. I mean, it's that whole. There's a whole movement of like Scandinavian crime thrillers, and there, there's something about like, especially for those of us who are who are just burdened with constant good weather. I mean, it's so freaking oppressive. <laughs> this idea of like, yeah, you get snow and it's cold all the time and it's harsh, and and if you go outside, the air wants to hurt you. Like that's like, that's it's, that's it's like dramatic. Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I did. I mean, that's that. You know, like this – would this work in – could you have this in like Arizona? Uh, in a no, desert? No, because there's yes. more suspects. In, That's the in northern Arizona, you can. Yeah. Ah, in northern right. Arizona, it's really, it's really snowy. Flagstaff is 
uh, is pretty. I mean, it's not like this type of. Well, I do. Th- I do think partly like when she mentioned something about someone said something about you've got six cops covering an area the size of Rhode Island. Like I, I think the, what this northern plains area has, like it's specific to the Arapaho. Uh, the, you know, I think there mm-hmm. are there are a different type yeah, of and a different concentration yeah. of, of of Native Americans up there. Uh, the the prohibitive winters uh, are distinct up there. It's like something in common that people have. There's there's not a lot of agriculture. It's like a lot of livestock. Um, I mean, they're just specific bits of the setting that make th- movies like Three Priests. Like I think Three Priests is hip to this with a wildfire, for instance, uh, on, and what that means on the plains. Um, yeah, they're just specific bits of the setting that uh, – I don't know. And also just being cold, like being cold is different yeah. than being hot. Being in a desert is a different kind of barrenness than being in an Arctic uh, yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kelly Wand. I want to say a couple more things about that because um, uh, Lucas Necessary also says that uh, he's taking 20, the 0.25 away from his score uh, partly because of Utah. <laughs> What's his deal with Utah? I don't know, but it was mostly filmed in Utah. It was what? Not in Wait a minute, what? Oh. You didn't oh. see that all in the – did you stay for the credits? Because I, I had didn't to see leave. you after I, the movie. I, I had to leave. My, I had to see a man about a horse. All right. Yeah, it was all It was all Utah. It's a wooden leg. Yeah. So it was all in Utah. And, and oh. uh, Hal 9000 takes uh, points away uh, because of Utah, <laughs> which I think is very funny. Yeah. All right. Kelly, I want to have a question for you. How did you feel about getting specific information about what kind of underwear Elizabeth Olsen wears? Oh, the Dacron thong? Uh, I'd floss with something uh, much wider. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, Kelly, I want to have another question for you. Uh, who, who on this podcast do you think is the only one capable of rocking a cowboy hat? Dingus. Yeah, unfortunately. I grew up in Colorado. What do you expect? Oh, is that what it is? Dingus, I grew up in Arkansas. Shouldn't I? I should. It's not where you grow up, Dingus. It's somebody, I don't know, the shape of your head or some dang thing. You could knows? do a headdress, too, though, ironically. Just tell <laughs> you. <laughs> Uh, I can't put a can sweater on though because it'll stretch out the neck. Uh, yeah. You missed the trailers, Dingus. So there's a trailer for a movie called Tulip Fever. Uh, Wait, did you just say you missed the trailers, Dingus? I did. You I missed the trailers. No, no, I did. I, I closed my eyes for the mother trailer. I did. I watched the stupid it trailer because we're not going to see that. Uh, uh. And, and then I went ahead and watched the trailer for <laughs> for Tulip Fever. Which uh-huh. is about uh, Alicia Vikander getting her her picture painted by some old Dutch master. There you know, it's is one, a baby. <laughs> exactly, it's one of those kind of movies, and it's actually been out for a while. I didn't even realize that. So, the trailer for Tulip Fever. It's like Bruce Valanche. Oh, I like super, how you pop the P on Tulip, Tom. Yeah, you, you want to hit that. They're uh-huh. super pumped about the fact that they've got in their movie Dane DeHaan. So I'm thinking, yeah, these guys were thinking, yeah, Valerian is going to come out. That Road to Wellness movie is going to be big. Uh, and we got Dane DeHaan, so let's feature him heavily in the trailer. He's the poor man's Cara Delvinia. And you know what? She's in it. She's in what? Tulip 
fever. I couldn't believe it. They're like, it's going yeah. by and it's showing little scenes of this and that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Did you guys just slip some Cara Delevingne in there? And sure enough, when they're saying Academy Award winner Alicia Vikander, Academy Award yeah. winner Christoph uh, Waltz, Academy Award nominee Zach Galifianakis, who's in it. Uh, and then it, it comes to uh, – uh, uh, Dane DeHaan, he doesn't get any anything Academy like that. Academy eligible Dane DeHaan. Yeah, and then it comes to uh, poor Cara Delevingne, who uh, who I now like her. Like there's a time I found what? her super annoying. After Valerian, come on, she carried the weight of that stupid movie. Her she eyebrows the- are like Hitler's mustache. <laughs> so wrong on so many levels what? all right i know i have another story to tell you guys that's why i like her uh, i'm what? watching a movie about it's a siege movie right and it's uh it's actually kind of uh, it might be for Ke- overdrive kelly wand no, exactly yes it's called jackals it just came out and it's about these mm. people who are besieged by cultists um there's mm. that peter fonda warren oates movie i think it's devil's reign is that yeah. right where the cultists yeah. have eyes yeah. They're not cultists, though. They're like a hillbilly cannibal family. Oh. These are cultists in scary masks, right? And they're, they're laying siege to the, the cabin that the good guys are in. And it becomes a, a standoff movie where they're going to try to get in, and the good guys, who's just a normal family, they have to hold them at bay. So they're, they're gathering, like, scissors and knives and everything that can be used as weapons. And the one woman who you figure is going to be the least effectual, you know, she's a mother. She's super timid. She's trying Ugh. to protect her, her little baby who raises the stakes in the movie. Uh, at one point, you know, they're getting their weapons together. She goes over to the stove and turns it on and puts a pot on there and starts oh. pouring, like, Always pouring, a mom. She's pouring vegetable oil into the pot, oh, yeah. and the brother looks at her and goes, nice. And I was oh. thinking, I, I, that sounded so wrong to me. He needed to pump his yeah. fist and go, nice. Like once he realized she was making boiling oil, she has seen stray dogs. She knew she knows what to do to keep besiegers at bay. He should give her a fist pump and stand up and go, nice, and not just say, Christ, go. Right. Very good, Kelly Wan. Oh. You should have been there. You should have written that movie because instead he just goes, nice. And I'm like, no. Fries. You... Yeah. <laughs> so if Dingus had been in the movie, it would have played out much differently. Yeah, he was looking for his diary or something. <laughs> Burning a lot of good ones, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly Wan, speaking of exclamations, what is this week's 3 by 3 Uh, Well, we've done watch parts. Yep. We've done oceans. Uh-huh. Now what? We've What's done... left? Yeah. Uh, fuses. We've done best triangles, I think. Or something. Tapped out. Yeah. What else could there be? We've done uh, best car chases. Mm-hmm. We've done um, best uh, rainbows, I think, one time. Probably. Yeah. What's this left? week's. What? So what's left? The three best people exploding. In movies. So I, I like this one. And Dingus, uh, so, Kelly, well, this is for you and I. Dingus, I kind of felt bad for you having to come up with three exploding people. But let's see how you did. What's your number three, Dingus? I, I kind of felt bad for me, too. <laughs> yeah, not for Dingus. Yeah, not for Dingus. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't seek out movies that have those in them. <laughs> that have what? Those exploding people. Yeah. It's generally not part of the, your genre. Like, you don't. If I hear Dingus of- kicks open a video store door and shouts that. <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> Whose turn is it? Shout, shout, boy. I love that you're right. setting your script Straw in a place hat. that still has video stores. That's not yeah. a thing anymore. 
<laughs> Here's a quote That's from the thing. My... He kicks it open and he says it, and then he's like, "Wait, it's empty here." He right. Kelly Wan. Here's how he double clicks on the Netflix icon and says it. Right. He kicks his monitor. All right, Diggis, so you're number three. Here you are, tasked with three exploding people. What do you do? He said that when he went to join the bomb squad, and he kicked the door in and said that. Kelly, when we move past this bit. He, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, Flatliners preview's on. Okay, what? <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a hotel. What's Diggis right, dig saying? It. What do you got for number three? All right, here's a quote from it. All right, now, what does R2-D2 think? I don't want to guess things because I'm going to start guessing things that have exploded yeah. people. So. You don't have to guess anything. Porkins. Do you guys remember a movie called Live Wire? Is that Keanu Reeves in the ice cream truck that has to keep the bomb at a certain temperature? Nope. Is it Keanu Reeves out racing a, on a motorcycle out racing a nuclear explosion? Nope. Okay. I, I don't remember it. That's called it's Sudden a, Water or something. It's a movie from 1992 that stars Pierce Brosnan. And um, Ron Dante's Sutter. <laughs> it's called Live Wire. It's not mm -hmm. called Dante's Peak. Oh, right. You already named it. The name of the movie is is not is not that. It's Live Wire. I just Live remember this wire. movie. Um, Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn. It was directed by a dude named Christian Duguay, mm -hmm. uh, who did uh, The Art of War with Wesley mm -hmm. Snipes and Screamers, which I read neither of which I've seen. Oh. Uh, but I remember this movie being a staple on Cinemax uh, in the 90s and seeing it many times. Um, and the uh, – okay, the actual exploding person, if I have to choose one, would be uh, uh, the uh, terrorist um, – what, what happens is terrorists have figured out this explosive that's li that, that is a liquid – but the, the, the liquid becomes explosive uh, when it is combined with the uh, digestive juices of a human being. This so sounds awesome. When mm -hmm. they drink it, the person explodes. So like a senator is killed in an explosion and the FBI cannot figure out what's going on. How did this – where's senator. the bomb? But the people are the bombs. Um, and so it's, it's Alred who is this, this uh, terrorist who's disguised as a clown. Um, like like you do. Yeah, and so Pierce Brosnan, who is an FBI agent, uh, gets this clown away from people before uh, he can assassinate another senator. I think there's two senators who are killed by this time, and then the clown explodes um, in a wheelchair. So this is two people on fire or exploding in a wheelchair. In my choices, wow, Kelly, um, how did we miss that? I don't know. Is, does he chase it in a little car? <laughs> <laughs> It's in the Cougar uh, Cougar Five Thousand. Thing is, did you go back and watch Live Wire, or could you just find it on YouTube, or what? What did you do? Yeah, I went back and watched it again because I, I just have fond <laughs> memories of it just being on Cinemax. I think it was Cinemax. It is was, it a it reference to the protagonist? I actually put on VHS. What did you say? Is the title a reference to the hero being unorthodox, or some technical mishap that the bombs are connected to, or something? Live wire means that the bomb is actually a person, but the hero is not a live wire. Like ah, lethal weapon, loose. Cannon. I don't know. It's Pierce Brosnan. It's it's All a right, terrible. So no. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible movie. Um, but what I love about it is that it reminds me of a. It always reminded me of 
uh, a book I read. And have you ever heard of a book called Brothers by William Goldman? I have not. William right. Goldman? Yeah. Princess William Goldman. Bride? Prince's Bride, but more 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 uh, pertinent to this, the writer of Marathon Man. So, uh, uh, Brothers is the sequel he wrote to Marathon Man, which what? never he never wrote another sequel. No, and I'm fascinated. Please continue. A crazy book that I read. I remember reading it because I went through this this real William Goldman phase where I. Like I read Magic, I read uh, Marathon Man, I read this this book, Brothers. I read uh, The Color of Light, which is a really weird book about a writer. Um, but in the final part of this book, uh, uh, children are basically sent <laughs> to explode. Um, they're they're created. It's it's just a really weird, wind bending, very intricate. I don't think it's a very good book, but uh, you know, I went through a phase where I was reading all of William Goldman's stuff, and I remember reading Brothers, and I remember the end where the kids are all exploding. That uh, should be a movie. And, yeah, it should be. Yeah, uh, but it, it would be me, rated R, Kelly Wand. Yeah, it made me think of this uh, this terrible movie, Live Wire, uh, where, and I, I still remember um, the first time I saw those moments where. Uh, the person would drink the potion, whatever it was, uh, and go. Oh, it's right after you drink it. It's not like it has like an intubation period or whatever. That's not it, it, does, it has, but but it's quick. So that's okay. why. That's so you drink something right. like you're, you're given a drink, you drink it, and then shortly thereafter you're going to blow up. It's not like you're yeah. running around and in 24 hours you're going to you're going to go off. No, 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 no. Okay, no. it's it's pretty quick, and it's it's not just you blowing up. It's you're there's a fair amount of uh, damage. There's right. a damage area. That's right. why that's why it's used to assassinate a couple of senators. So basically, yeah. weaponized body fluid. Weaponized body fluid, exactly. Yeah, but people yeah. do explode. Right. I love that's that. That's not related to wires, though. Kelly Wan, they had to come up with – it's like you said, Lethal Weapon. They have to come up with a title like that. This was what, 91, Dingus, you said? 92. 92, yeah. That's what the, those were the rules. You had to have some snappy title like that, and it would have nothing to do with the movie. Lethal Weapon doesn't have anything to do with Lethal Weapons. It's two, It's Buddy Cops. If you called the it Buddy of, Cops, nobody would go see of, it. Part of the problem the FBI has is they cannot figure out what the bomb is. And, right. and the whole idea is that Especially usually, the with, titles, usually with a bomb in a movie <laughs> – um, yeah. They get to clip a wire. Right. You know, there's there's that like green or blue wire. Which are, which are green or red wire? What are this you going to clip? This time it's an intestine. And no, this, this time their... it's the wire is alive. You can't right. clip that. It's to pump uh, their stomach. I mean, does anyone ever say a wire uncircumcised. is dead? I, I love that Dingus watched Live Wire, but I might be able to top that. I don't know. But first, I have a question for you guys. Do people really explode in outer space if there's a hole in their space suit like in Outland? No, it's like 2001. They just float around like they're – Come on. Tired. Why would Outland do that? Because it's my number three pick. I love that in Outland. It freaked me out. I still am convinced. Yeah. I mean that's got to have – that's got to be solid science, right? I think Enough. Alexandra, no. our friend Alexandra has said that that does not happen. Yeah, and when people tell me that who are rocket scientists, I don't want to believe them. I, I need – I need <laughs> – cinematic proof come on why you can't just do that in a movie you can't just make a movie and just invent physics that's not that's not how it, physics works so i'm convinced in outland they knew something there's got to be some solid scientific foundation for you're in space oh no there's a hole in my suit 
I'm about to explode inside the suit like a huge blood squib. That's horrifying. That should be what happens in in Gravity, in Sunshine, in 2001. Uh, I feel like all of those movies are lying to us. They're teaching well, watch, us a lie. Watch the documentary Europa Report, and you'll you'll know exactly what happens. Do they ever go in bare space though? Well, that's what happens to Charlton Copley. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he doesn't explode. That movie's lying to us. It's a lie. It's a big lie that Hollywood is selling us, and I'm sick of it. I want us to go back to Outland. I love that. That's so cool. If you get a hole in your spacesuit, you're going to pop like a blood tick. That's awesome. So that's a my, blood tick. Yeah, a space blood tick. That's my number three pick. Kelly Wand, what's your third favorite exploding part? And by the way, I don't think it happens to any notable character. Like, there's some hapless minor. Like, I don't think Peter Boyle. Yeah. Wait, does he? Because he's on drugs or something. Yeah, but it's it's not like it never doesn't happen to Sean Connery or Francis Sternhagen or Peter Boyle. It's just the red shirts they yeah. blow up that way. Yeah. So. I guess right. Peter Hyams knew less science than we expected. <laughs> Until he got to 2010, which is totally solid. <laughs> yeah. Naked in space in 2010 where they should explode? I don't think they do. Uh, somebody jumps like across a thing. Yeah, know. he should explode then. He should pop. Remember when Sean Connery tricks that guy in the greenhouse by uh, dropping some glass and it makes him shoot the thing and then sucks him out in the space? It's very fortunate for the end of that movie that those assassins are really dumb. Yeah. It's super helpful. If assassins are sent after me, I hope they're as dumb as those guys in Outland. Were they dumb in High Noon? No. That movie's supposed to be a pest show. He had to let a whole stable of horses loose and I think set the town on fire. He had to do crazy stuff to Outwit. What about High Noon? What about 3 o'clock? What about 3 o'clock High? 3 o'clock High with Casey Shishimakali. Yeah, that one. (laughs) Wow. Uh, well, the jumping across thing I think is actually in Sunshine, where he like wraps himself in a bunch of stuff and has to jump. No, yeah, he should explode. That just makes no sense to me. I, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland lied to us in that movie, and I just feel betrayed. Hollywood Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is another documentary exactly. where that doesn't happen. Exactly, Dingus. Exactly. This is a big lie, and I'm sick of it. And Hollywood, you know, we need to take to the streets. Forget this Trump nonsense. There are more pressing issues. And it involves physics. So, Kelly Wan, give me your third favorite exploding person. My number three favorite exploding person was Yafit Kodo in Live and Let Die at the end. When Roger Moore uh, sticks like a capsule in his mouth and it it like inflates him super fast and sends him flying up to the ceiling like a balloon and then he explodes. (laughs) Roger Mora? Roger Mora. Poor yeah, Yafet Kato. Wow, I feel bad for Yafet Kato. All right. But I also like it because in Goldfinger, he kills Goldfinger by shooting out a plane window, and then Goldfinger, who's super fat, gets sucked super thinly through the window, and he's white, and then he fights a black guy later, and he makes him super fat and kills him. So the white guy's skinny and the black guy's fat. Huh. How about that? Stranger than fiction. <laughs> Dingus, what is your second favorite exploding person? Why don't you uh, – here's a quote from His me. expression's funny when he's exploding too. Yeah, I caught it. Well, I don't see how you could – if you're exploding, you're, you can't not have a funny expression. You're going to look He looks goofy. annoyed. He's just like, what? <laughs> this is my how my character stuff? Jesus Christ. Okay, what, Dingus? 
Uh, here's a quote from it. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Oh, raids. Yeah, it's raids. Is that, <laughs> is what, you, the... is that what the kids are calling it? <laughs> yeah. I love it when people call this a pod. <laughs> yeah, raids. It's a pod, bruh. Who, yeah, the, the Nazi says it's beautiful. No, uh, it's um, it's it's Rene. It's uh, it's Belosh. They call him Belosh. Oh, the guy who ate a fly, right? Belosh. Belosh. Fly. So, uh, so it's uh, Doctor Rene Belloc, played by Paul Freeman. Um, at the end, uh, when he says it's beautiful, like one guy melts, one guy catches on uh, fire, and just like one Nazi uh, no, hits no, his no, head. One guy just. Um, one guy, one guy, uh, a tote is the one who melts. Uh, the other dude just gets like shrunken, uh, and uh, Rene Belloc catches on fire and then eventually just explodes. And that's a hmm. great exploding person. Thank you, God. I feel he does. Doesn't he melt as well, or he doesn't? <laughs> he, he just me, burns. Margaret. He just burns instead <laughs> of melting. Yeah. He, he he does not melt. He, he gets he just, microwave. He, he catches on fire. Uh, and it's like an all-consuming fire, and then eventually he explodes. I, I thought uh, the yeah. melting guy with the coat hanger, doesn't he melt and then explode? No, Tote just melts. Mm. Yeah. Well, and and this is a great moment where his hat, like one of the great little bits of makeup and costuming in this is when his when his face melts, and obviously there's less there to hold the hat up, and it just flops down over his melted head. Did you, did you <laughs> so, rewatch this, Dingus? Are you sure about this? I just rewatched that scene. I've seen ra- I've seen raids, raids enough to uh, to know raids, brah. Yeah, because I watched. I just watched it too, and I, I just thought it was the coat hanger guy who just melts, and then he's already melted so much that his exploding seemed like an afterthought. But that was Bella. No. Okay, all right. Yeah, Below. yeah they call him Bella. All right, it, it looks kind of lame. Not as cool as the melting. Yeah, exactly. Like it feels like exploding is an afterthought. Like melting. Like it's CG looking. You know what though, Kelly Wan? Oh, there's a bit of there's a bit of looking all of the good lord, Kelly. Also, I want to. I did clarify. have trouble with with, uh, with with when I was looking at different uh, ones that I wanted to choose the difference between exploding and disintegration. Also, people exploding people, not Jaws the shark. Okay. First of all, the shark's name is not Jaws. Oh. It's not, and Bruce uh, is a person's name. And second of all, there's a bit of a good news, bad news for the guy that explodes. It's sort of like, okay, the bad news is you're going to explode. But the good news is you're not going to be melting anymore. Right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Good news, bad news. Yeah. So raids. I'm glad Dingus picked that because I I watched that and I was like, eh, it's more melting. Like the exploding. No, the melting is a different guy. There's three different deaths that happen. So Belloc doesn't even – or no, this guy – wait. Okay, Belloc explodes. Belloc doesn't melt at all? No, he just catches on fire and explodes because he's running the ritual. But they're all looking at the same arc juice or whatever it is yes. coming out at him. But he's yeah. running the ritual, and he's actually touched the arc. I mean, there's there, there's a whole like biblical thing about touching the arc in a different way and looking into uh, it. He's looking into it in a different way. He's running the ritual, and he's betrayed his. Uh, touch the arc appropriately. Show show us on the puppet how you touch the. He's arc. running a Jewish ritual, and that's what the guy who's who, whose face becomes shrunken says. I'm uncomfortable with this Jewish ritual, and Bel- mm. Belloc says, "You know, you really want to wait until the arc gets to Berlin to find out if this is the prize that Hitler wants." Do you and think he's, that he's running a Jewish ritual? Do you think that Richard Spencer watches Raiders of the Lost Ark and thinks that it's a tragedy? 
The good news is Jaws's family lived to avenge him after. His name isn't Jaws. I will not stand for this nonsense from you, Kelly Wand. And instead, uh, I will tell you about my second favorite exploding person. Kind of a cheat because this person doesn't. Another television ex- show. This person doesn't explode. Uh-huh. But this person is designed. Under arrest. No, no. Hold on. Can I? Finish? Can I? Are you going to drag me to jail before I can even tell you what it is? Because I think you'll approve, uh, Kelly Wand. Kelly just, just weaving a lot. You, you yeah, Kelly Wand. You're you're no Joe Arpaio. I'll tell you that much. Ooh, uh, too soon. Uh, this person doesn't explode, but it is her exclusive uh, uh, raison d'être. She's designed to explode. She's Eve Eight. She is a robot, and what Gregory Hines doesn't know when he's put on the case. Because she's a renegade robot, loose in San Francisco, and uh-huh. Gregory Hines, Gregory Hines plays Colonel Jim McQuaid, and Whoa. he's he's taken from a very important mission to go find this renegade robot loose in San Francisco, and what they don't tell him is that <laughs> this renegade go find me campaign is that he they didn't have the internet back then, Dingus. What oh. this is 1991, 92. This is this is concurrent with Livewire. So I don't Ooh. know who who ripped off home here. Uh, but this movie, it's called Eve of Destruction. It's totally a Terminator ripoff. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's terrible and I rewatched it. So I I'm guessing it's worse than than Livewire cuz cuz at least Pierce Brosnan has star power. Gregory Hines, I mean Apologies, he's dead. I feel awful. He was mainly a dancer. He's no Colonel Jim McQuaid. He doesn't quite grow into the expansiveness that the role calls for, I feel. But that's mm-hmm. fine. He tries. Anyway, he's got to track down this robot that's made to look just like the designer. But what they don't tell him, because they figure he doesn't need to know, but then it becomes an issue later, is that she is designed to infiltrate foreign populations and then nuclearly detonate as a bomb uh, and to destroy the population center. So she's an exploding person. She's a robot. Actually. She's a robot. Wait a she minute, Kelly. Be a but oh the thing God. is, she looks like a person, and she's played by a person, a chick, um, a chick who is so 80s through and through. Her name is like Renee Sudenjek. She's a Dutch actress. She was in this cool movie called The Fourth Man, an early Paul Verhoeven movie. And I imagine people in the 80s thought she was super hot. But man, I look at her and I'm like, God, that's what people look like in the 80s. Weird. Uh, even though this movie's like 91, 92, whatever. This is an 80s throwback. Terminator ripoff. She goes into a store and she gets like a leather getup, which I think is supposed to look sexy, but it's way too 80s. She gets her hair done like 80s style. And whereas the Terminator is trying to terminate Sarah Connor, what uh-huh. she's doing, because she's been designed with her creator's memories. And, and emotions and stuff. What she's doing is to try to get custody of her son. Oh, God. So she's she, a machine? Yep, she's a robot. She's a super, and she runs around and she's, she's not a person. Dingus, I, robots deserve... She does have a son, though. Exactly, Dingus. She thinks That's she, the definition of a person. No, she's got the memories of somebody who has a son. Dingus, you don't have arrest powers on this 3x3. Three three. I don't, but I am an advocate. Kelly Wan, you know how awesome this movie Eve of Destruction is, don't you? Gosh, I remember. I re- actually remember. Uh, yeah, hear, I, can, I can hear the trailer in my head. I can hear the do. I can. It must have been Don LaFontaine going Eve of yeah. Destruction. I can hear. Is her it. name Eve? Well, the, no. The scientist who invents her, who's a character in the movie, by the way, played by the same actress, uh, is named Eve. And then the sequence of robots are Eve one, two, three, four. She's Eve eight. Oh, so the, shit. The, like, yeah, she's the eighth iteration. That's the unluckiest number of all. 
Um, well, if, yeah, you know, I, I would have held out for five more iterations, frankly. Do you know why oh, Eve Seven was afraid of Eve Eight? Because Nine ate her. Because Eve Eight Nine, stop it, Tom. I got close. I knew where you were going. Oh. Uh, so anyway, Eve, Eve uh, just, the uh, the Dutch actress Renee Sujanglik or something like that. There's a bunch, a bunch of J's and T's and maybe an O and a U in her name. I don't know how to I say it. I hope she and Livewire both live up to their names. <laughs> Tom, are you... Yes, Dingus. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Tell me, are you going to do anything? D- Dingus, he's on my side. He's an Eve of Destruction fan. Come on, he's Gregory Hines e- plays Colonel Jim McQuaid. He's an, e- it, he's an ease of destruction. Does he blow up? Well, they 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 stop the explosion uh, nine seconds before uh, I think they're in. Oh no, they go to New York. Yeah, she goes all the way across country to get her son. Oh, so they stop New York from being destroyed nine seconds before she would nuclearly explode and destroy all of New York. Well, Dingus, the real by the meaning behind the topic was robots that go to New York. <laughs> Great. Wait, I totally so, got. I'm going I to can't pull it. Tom over because he yeah, gets already two whole picks by now. So maybe he'll get it on his third. Uh, Dingus, Tom's on difficulty one. If you know what I'm saying. There in this movie because it's a Terminator ripoff. We get plenty of Eve POV, and uh, you know, they they oh, have to do a, <laughs> they have to do a HUD. Uh, you know the heads up display like the Terminator has, right. and all they could afford. Are in the corners of the screen little red L's like it's sort of bracketing it. That stand for HUD. And then two red dots at either end. There's no numbers, no letters. There's no moving lines. It's just four little L's framing the corner, and then two little red dots at the extremity. That's her HUD. Huh. Dots at you know, the extremity. You know why she goes haywire? No. Does she go live wire? What? While they're running tests to have her oh. test infiltrating populations, they right. send her out in the city, and a handler goes along, sort of watching, making sure everything's okay. And like dudes try to pick up, pick her up. You know, they're hitting on her, and she's yeah. a robot. She doesn't know how to respond to this, so it's super awkward. But the dudes are following. They want how a handler. So they go into a bank, and mm-hmm. while they're in there, the bank gets robbed, and oh, the handler fuck. gets shot. She doesn't know how to respond to a bank robbery so right. she doesn't hit the deck when the robbers are saying hey everybody get down and the robber's like are you crazy lady i'll mess you up and he shoots her it doesn't affect her she takes uh-huh. his gun and then goes on a rampage so this is what causes her to go into battle mode which a is a bank she, robbery yeah and then she gets shot and you know it doesn't kill her because she's a robot and well, it, that's still like exploding yeah it's and it's just like being a person kelly and a bank is kind of like an explosion god you guys Dingus, you know this is a great pick. You're just jealous because Livewire. It's a terrible pick, and and Kelly, you guys are on the take. You love You're both it. on the what? take. There's God. no way that exploding person doesn't invoke Eve of Destruction in the average. Robots aren't people. Things. Are you saying T1000 when, when the T1000 gets uh, shot because he's been uh, coated in frozen nitrogen and he and his body explodes? Is that a person exploding? Did the T1000 ever try to save his son? He no. Tried to he, save somebody's yeah. son. He didn't think he had one. Eve eight thinks she's got a little boy. His name is Timmy, by the way. No lie. Thinks Aww. she's a little boy. And he, he, he by the way, what. here's what happens at the end of the movie. She gets mm-hmm. Timmy. She spirits him away into a subway. She's holding him. Gregory Hines can't shoot her because she's holding the little child, and and it's in the way. So Gregory Hines 
uh, like, what does he do? I forget. It involves a subway train. Anyway, she gets hit by a subway train, and it cuts her arm off and knocks her over. It doesn't even kill her. She's still up and running around. That's like blowing up. Exactly. Plus, Timmy could be short for TNT. So yeah, that's you like just keep up. apologizing for him, Kelly. What? Good Lord. Dingus is just jealous. I don't know why you hate Gregory Hines. He was in one of your favorite movies, Running Scared. I love his ketchup. <laughs> God. Did he dance on the tomatoes to make it that good? <laughs> Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite exploding person or robot who may or may not explode in the course of the no, movie? No, it's not or robot. Stop it, you guys. It's yeah, it's iRobot. Dingus is right. Asimov is wrote a different novel. Because he, he's just mad because he didn't, if there were robots, if he was allowed to pick robots, he, would have more, he wouldn't have had to watch Livewire. No, I'm mad that the fact that you got away with this and then you expanded the topic for Kelly. It's a great pick. You know it. Admit it, Dingus. No, I won't. Evil of Destruction, I love that. I love that mental image, but it's you not. It's a robot. It's not an exploding person. Robots aren't people. Okay, there are two options here. You can either admit it's a great pick, or you can watch Eve of Destruction and then admit it's a great pick. Whichever one is you as a person. You know, I just like that you expanded it to be robots and people. You tried to sneak that in like a, a rider on a bill. Kelly, do you have a robot involved in your picks? I pronounce this acceptable. <laughs> of course you do. Well, I just think if it's uh, – I mean Chappie was alive. He said he was. He's a robot. Charles Manson, Worst the time. robot from the South African uh, drug cartel. In the moving on, give us your your second favorite exploding robot. Shouldn't the movie It be called Pennywise if that's his name? You've read the book. You tell me. My number two is uh, Lizzie Kaplan and Cloverfield. Ooh, good one. It's <laughs> rude. Right before she does it, when they first get into the medical room she stops and she's all and then she's all, okay never mind i'm fine and so then like that's two it's her two minute warning that's a symptom you get is where you feel like you're gonna explode then you don't and then you're like ah, all right i just ate some radishes kelly one these are words i never thought i'd say but i'm gonna go ahead and say them thank mm-hmm. you matt reeves yeah he gave us something yeah i love that pick kelly i didn't even think thank of it you I stuck to the topic a little more closely than we all did. A little more closely than the people who didn't. Well, Tom just it's great has pick, but you a know it. Broad definition yeah. of what uh, life R2D2, is. R2D2. I'm going to choose R2D2 for my next one. When does he explode? Is he designed to explode? Is that his raison d'être? No. Well, I think in the prequels when he uh, when he, now he can fly, it's his feet exploding. So that's basically. Oh, wait, I was thinking of C-3PO. I was calling him a protocol. When the sea serpent uh, spat him out in Dagobah, he exploded with rage. Mm, yeah. Spat mud out of his... Kelly Wand, why is, there a sea, why is there a sea serpent in a swamp? It's the Dagobah, or I mean, it's the Dianoga. It grew up. All right, Dingus, what's the best exploding <laughs> and then threw up, R2. <laughs> yeah. Or robot in all of movie. That's why Yoda geared... Luke into the trash compactor so he'd have experience on Dagobah with swamp shit. Alright, my number <laughs> one pick uh, it has a quote that relates to my number three pick. And here is the quote from my number one pick. This live wire is going to blow us up! That's not it. Oh. That's a Kelly Wong quote. Uh, uh, we just found this arc in a basement somewhere. 
All right, so here's the quote from my number one pick. I just saw a live tire. Oh, good lord, that's an excellent one. Wow, Kelly Wan Dingus scooped us. I didn't even think of that. Technabit. All right, someone blows so this- up in rubber. <sighs> Please. Oh, was it a Prometheus ship? So, rolls roll over Charlize. No, it is the tire in rubber who's telekinetic and explodes a cop's head. That's his oh, whole. Yeah. That's his whole. That's just how, his, that's his mo. Yeah. See exactly, Kelly Wand. Go ahead, go after him. Don't let Dingus get away with Dingus, this. Dingus, come on. That's not what? even a whole exploding person. That's just what the head. Is, what is personhood really, Kelly? If you think about Their it, their entire body has to explode. Dingus is basically inventing a synecdoche. That's true. All and mine, I'm, I'm the not going to stand for it. When I went time. to the trouble of watching Eve of Destruction, I will not accept this, Dingus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after Tom bent over backwards to make sure he fit the rules, you just <laughs> slapped me in the face with this head. But I'd rather be in jail than be free with you two. You robot. What? You robot loving women. Better to reign in hell, huh? Than Dingus, give us in a mechanics workshop. Give us, give us a quote from Tom's film. No, I want to hear the destruction. Oh. oh. Was what? that it? They just say huh. Eve of Destruction. I have no idea. From Eve because you never saw Wrong Cops, did you? The other Quentin Dupuis movie. Oh. No, I did not. Yeah, he did. Oh, no, he didn't. He didn't I don't think it's for him, Kelly Wand. He might yeah. not like it as much as we do. Remember when we asked each other who was your favorite Wrong Cop? Did we have the same answer? Uh, Yeah. Was it the wrong answer? I mean, they're all pretty good, but uh, yeah, I think it's time for me to see Wrong Cops again. Make Dingus watch it, because I don't think he understands what a robot is from his (laughs) number three choice. (laughs) All right, well, my number one pick, and it's not because I I didn't pick – well, my number one pick, this is the (laughs) definitive, I feel, exploding person. And Dingus – this is for you, Dingus – this is a bona fide exploding person. It's the whole point of the movie, and in fact – once the movie gets to this point, it's done. The movie's like, this is, this is, I couldn't, I, there's no way to top this. The Bruce Garrick rule we have about, hey, some movies, they go on too long. This movie ends before the pieces of the person who have exploded have hit the ground. Like, yeah. it's mid-shot, it's the shot of the person exploding, the movie's then just like, you know what? I, I got nowhere to go. Just fade to black credits. Uh, it's an amazing shot. It's a terrible movie, but uh, I kind of have a soft spot for it because this guy went on to do great movies, and you watch this movie, and you see him playing with things that will later be really good. For instance, scenes of people in slow motion with no sound other than a really audacious, brassy, blaring soundtrack. It looks so stupid in this movie called The Fury, yet when he finally does that with that that baby carriage scene that you guys have talked about so much in, in Untouchables, like you see what he does in Untouchables, you see how that could have gone wrong, because he did it wrong in The Fury. It looks ridiculous. Kirk Douglas is like watching uh, Amy Irving run from a car that hits a woman and a windshield breaks. Like that's the super tense – oh, and a jogger gets shot. Uh, like that's the super tense action set piece in the movie The Fury 
where uh, Brian De Palma plays with this idea of slow mo and no and no sound. Uh, so at any rate, the Fury builds entirely to it's about these kids with telekinetic power, and he did it right uh, after Carrie. So it's kind of silly because he just did Carrie, and here he goes making a movie about two telekinetic spies. kids. Yeah, yeah they're spies who are going to be used to assassinate people. It's ridiculous. There's uh-huh. so many stupid, ridiculous things in this movie. Um, so good. But they end, by the way. Uh, so Andrew Stevens, who I I think we mo- mainly know from like. Softcore erotic Cinemax. Andrew Stevens, I just equate him with like he's naked with uh, Shannon. What's her name? Whatever. Dory. Uh, no, who's that? She's a super breasty chick. Yes, thank you, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Dingus, did you I, get that I as got well? Tweed first. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Good. I mean, she's, nice. She's a twin, isn't she? Doesn't she? Uh, are there two tweeds? Probably. There's never two twins. <laughs> tweeds. Two tweeds. Tweeds. Double, oh double yeah. Twins. So Andy Stevens is the super evil guy, and by the end, he's like murdering people, and he gets in a room, and he kills a woman by making a human centrifuge out of her, where her blood just sprays out of her, and then he makes himself fly telekinetically. So when Kirk Douglas, his dad, comes in to look for him, he's floating above his dad, and his dad's looking around, where are you, where are you, and he's right up there over his head. And then he dives into Kirk Douglas, and they go out the window, and they're hanging off of the ledge (laughs) – of a two-story building. It is so dumb. Like, they're playing this as super... It's two stories up. We can see the ground down there. Everybody's up there looking at you. It's two stories. You might break a leg. And they're playing it like it's life and death peril. Furthermore, Kirk Douglas is hanging on for dear life with one hand. He's got his son with the other hand. His son, who was just moments ago, literally seconds ago, telekinetically flying. And now he can't fly. I don't know what the deal is. Seconds ago, the guy was flying. He was floating in the air. With his brain. He could do it, and now, oh, he's going to fall two stories. Anyway, he falls. He dies. Kirk Douglas, out of grief, flings himself off of this two-story building and dies next to him. Super, super operatic. He claws his face, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As Andrew Stevens is falling, he he, claws his face. and yeah. Um, So John Cassavetes, who's the the main evil guy who's the head of this this telekinesis assassin program, uh, he's won. And he now has Amy Irving, who was uh, the, the young protege telekinetic chick. <laughs> He's got her captive, and she's going to now work for him. So the final scene, she wakes up after all this terrible stuff has happened, and she liked Kirk Douglas, and she had a telekinetic bond with Andrew Stevens. She feels bad about all this. Mm-hmm. John Cassavetes is all like, you know what? I know you're bummed. You're going to work for me now. Just get past this. Everything's going to be fine. And he's basically doing villain monologuing. And she wants no part of it. So she starts telekinetically making him like jiggle around and he starts bleeding. And Brian De Palma builds to an exploding John Cassavetes. And he builds to it. He's so proud of they sub in, and it's a really good cut, by the way. John Cassavetes is just sitting there jiggling around. He's got fake blood on him, and it looks goofy. But at a certain point, they cut, and if you go frame by frame, it's super cool to watch how good they are about this. They cut to a dummy that then explodes, and this explosion – Brian De Palma is so proud of it. You know how in a movie with an explosion where they film it from a couple of different angles and they think that, yeah, this explosion is so cool. We're going to back up and show you the explosion from this angle. Yeah. The movie plays around. So it goes back in time to show you the explosion from the left. No CG yet. Yeah, exactly. 13 different angles. This explosion lasts Mm -hmm. less than a second. It plays 13 separate times, each from a different angle. Brian De Palma loves this explosion so much. You go back in time. 
one second to rewatch it 13 times, each from a different angle. It is ridiculous. It's, it's insanely, it's just so, it's, you know what? It's explosion porn. Like you're supposed to cheer more each explosion. Like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. And I think yeah. sound does build. Like it's this whole thing and it's right. just like, it's kind of like, hey, remember when this happened a second ago? Yeah, I know. A... But they're all paced the same and they look the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Same fucking sight. Right. Stupid. <laughs> But it, it's so gratuitous, and uh, it's just—it's just the point of the fury. Is we're going to get to a point where Amy Irving is so mad at John Cassavetes that she blows him up with her mind. And we're not even invested in his death. Is like, oh, he's the worst villain ever. Right. The movie's so terrible because also, so Brian De Palma had done Carrie, and it didn't do very well. So oh, he does yeah, this. that's so. Okay. It didn't. It didn't. And he does this movie and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to get Kirk Douglas. I'm going to get some star power in this movie to give it like Fuck box you, off. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. So he's like, I'm going to get a celebrity. And it's just a, most of this movie is a dumb Kirk Douglas comedy. Like yeah. He's, he's I like that, though. Away from the cop. It's so. But it's sort of like Brian De Palma should be doing a horror movie about these telekinetic twins who blow people up and kill them with as blood centrifuges. And instead, Kirk Douglas needs needs it to be funny and light, and he wants to be charming with his twinkling eyes and his little dimple. There's a character in this called Grandma Knuckles. She's Aww. like a wacky grandma that he takes hostage to escape right. from the police. Uh, and there's the wacky cops that he escapes with, and uh, it's just so dumb. Remember when he kills the priests on the roller coaster? <laughs> <laughs> really? That's how you remember it? Or the nuns. <laughs> They're south shapes on a tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> yeah, I knew they were shark. This is our policeman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, there's still people. There's Saudi shakes on a yeah. They're actually robot shakes. <laughs> I love right. the killing of his priest on a roller coaster. You're under arrest for live and let die just for being troublesome. <laughs> That's my favorite thing I've heard. I think in about four or five. Jesus. Years. <laughs> All right, Kelly, on the Fury is my number one favorite exploding person. Dingus hasn't seen it. No, I haven't seen it. Is it based on a book? I, did you already yes. say this? So, yeah. Just there's the a, explosion a, parts are. There's a horror writer. I think I think it's a horror. Yeah, he's a, definitely a genre writer. I think his name is John Ferris, uh, and he yeah. wrote the a book that I think was like super quickly optioned uh, and then made into this movie. So the movie came out very short. I don't know why it's called that. It's a weird title for what's going on in the movie. Well, especially with all the little comic stuff, but yeah, I mean the idea is they're they're supposed to it's supposed to like drive you mad, like you have this power and it makes you insane. Must kill those priests on a roller coaster. Wonder if it came out before or after Firestarter. (laughs) Oh, that's a good question, Dingus. Before, before, yeah, definitely. This came out before Firestarter. When was when was Carrie? But it came out before Firestarter the book. When was Firestarter the book published? Do you know? Eighty-two, I think. Or eighty. Oh, all right. It's early '70s. Like this is. Yeah, the, it's '78 because Carrie was '75 or yeah, six. Yeah, it's right after. It's what he six. did after Carrie. Yeah. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. right. It was our, our celebration of the bicentennial. And it's totally a. I mean, I don't want to scoop anything you're going to pick, but it's totally. When, when was a David Cronenberg movie that begins with the letter S, Kelly Wand? Scanners was '83. Yeah, so it's totally it predates that. Like this whole deal. Or '81. With, with uh, with like people bleeding as they do this psychic power like uh, right yeah 
But the I remember thinking that the Fury explosion doesn't look that great. It's not worth seeing once even with Korean thirteen times. Well, the explosion, but but the cut, like the way they cut into, because you see this in scanners too. At a certain point, they cut to the prosthetic person, and the music keeps building too, like da 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 da. Another one. I think it's a John Williams soundtrack for the Fury. The music actually is. Oh really? Yeah, I think it's got a oh. I think it's John Williams trying to do a Bernard Herrmann style soundtrack. Oh, um, wow. And it's not awful. I mean, it's kind of pedestrian, but considering the movie that it's set to, it's it's kind of cool. Like it's it's got it's got a catchy bit to it. Yeah. So in scanners, rate, the head looks awesome. Like it's just like mm, lasagna and shit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Kelly, Wan, is that your number one pick? Because I was no, guessing us would pick it. That's not a person. Exactly. Wan, thank you. Jesus. I know, right? <laughs> My number one priest, at least it's not a priest on a roller coaster. <laughs> uh, I may get pulled over on this one, but my number one is from a James Gunn movie. Oh, Slither. Yeah. I really like – there's a chick who um, – yeah, Why would you get pulled over for this? This is great. Because she's still a person at that point. That's fine. She started as a person. Well, why is she not a person? I mean, just because you're, like, infected with alien snakes doesn't deprive you of your humanity. Right, right. It doesn't. Mm, you're basically mine. just a giant snake nest. Yeah, but you're still a person. <laughs> she, can she still vote? Because she's still allowed to vote. Only for snakes. <laughs> well, tell us a snakes. little bit about, about what happens. And isn't this, like a, is this like a super hot redhead actress? Jenna Fisher's in it? Uh, the girl's Elizabeth Banks, actually. Who, and she, who's the one that gets like becomes the snake nest? Uh, I think it's Travis McGee or someone. <laughs> Doesn't wait. I thought you were talking about the woman. Yeah, I am. Her name is Travis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Travis McGee um, gets infected, and so she becomes like a giant blob that's like squarish in this barn. Right. And her face is just like on the front of it. And she's eating dead animals, like yeah, dead like, beavers and moles. Is that Michael and Rooker was the one who got all blooded. Probably he's the he main. Is, he gets turned into the giant thing thing. Uh, I love that movie too, though, because no one comes back to life at the end. Like the whole town's dead except for like the three heroes. Right. But uh, uh, when she blows up, she doesn't just blow up, but she blows up all these leeches that infect you and turn you into zombies. So everyone has to cover their mouth and nose holes so the that was... leeches don't get in. So she's not only exploding, but she's exploding with leeches. Or slugs. What are they? Slugs. Why, would you, think slugs? You would, why would you think you would get pulled over for this? Yeah, this is fine. Because uh, it's a little bit of CG-ish. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, what all right. And is it bursting or exploding? I mean, does explode mean that, there has that to be counts fire? As, as explosion, yeah. You Look know, Kelly, if, if you want to... dude in Monty Python, I mean, he explodes, right? Yeah. It was my you favorite wanna... part of Slither was when I was like, ah, this movie's good. Look what happened. I haven't seen that before. I've never seen a giant woman explode into a bunch of slugs and leeches. Mm-hmm. That was a first and an only. What were you going to ask me? Nothing. Uh, what do the listeners have as their favorite exploding? Oh, I want to say that I went to see Slither in a movie theater with Tom. Did you like it? Uh, yeah. 
I liked it a lot, but it's one of these weird experiences where um, I almost threw up while watching a movie. <laughs> oh, oh, poor Dick. When, when the, like Elizabeth when, Banks. When the slug goes down somebody's throat. Yeah. At one point, it just made me gag. It it made <laughs> me gag, but I also squealed at one point, and there were some. High school girls sitting behind us who laughed. Right, at- that's where that happened. Right, I'm pretty oh. sure that was Slither. Yeah, yeah. You disgraced yourself in front of high school girls. It's not the first time. Did you make them squeal? Never. Aiden Keys writes, "Hey QT3 Beans, I can only think of one this week. In Lost mm-hmm. Boys, Corey Haim shoots a vampire into a stereo with a bow and arrow, which leads to a cacophony <laughs> of vamp screams, 80s rock, and sparks before ending with the vampire. Wait, sparks was 80s rock. <laughs> before ending with the vampire exploding into blood and limbs that scatter about the room. Oh. <laughs> Wrapped up with the line Death by Stereo." Thanks, guys, Aiden. I think when you when you have a, a quip after exploding person, it robs it of a little bit of its gravity. If you just say death by whatever, like death by handcuffs, that's not funny. Is it necessary? That's the question. <laughs> would it help? Also, it was a va- yeah, would it help is the question. Wait, is a vampire a person? Ah, no. Vampires are undead. They're they're uh, children of the night. They can't vote. They're erstwhile. Right. Yeah, erstwhile people. Good point, though. Robots are, are uh, potential people. At a certain <laughs> point in the future, they might be included. They might be allowed to, like, vote. You know, we're expanding the circle of rights to animals, maybe, and to, to robots. Robot rights is a thing. It's a thing in science fiction. I'm not lying. Right. What no. is robot rights? Yeah, robot rights. Oh, right. Skynet has declared it so. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so Aiden saw Lost Boys. Ha ha. That can't hold up, right? Skynet turned into a monkey in the new Apes movie. (laughs) Alexander Burns gets it. What? Hey, ding-dongs. Alexander Burns writes, It's been a hectic few weeks on my side of the world, but I couldn't help but throw this pick in. Time Bandits. Ah. If one of you deebs hasn't haven't chosen this, I'll be shocked. I watched this movie a lot as a child, and while it's no Brazil, it's still a pleasure to have on in the background. Other memories of this time include chicken ramen soup, love connection, and Roman Catholic guilt. Don't so touch it, it's about, evil. Okay. Yeah, Say that wrong. again, I, I talked over you, go ahead. Don't touch it, it's evil. That's what he's... It's the parents, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, that's right? a great one. Yeah. Although, doesn't what's his face blow up too? The guy that they touch, they touch. It's a David piece Warner. Of They're touching well. pieces. Of, oh, right, right, right. Is They're it touching pieces of the? Yeah. Yeah. Don't touch pieces of David Warner, Kelly Wand. In the Only part. Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> Thanks, dads. Alex, aka Bruce Walla. <laughs> Ooh, it's like a Die Hard parody. Keith Leith writes, greetings, I've avoided explosives as I fear Kelly would declare them bang out of order and deploy his nightstick. Uh, Number three, live and let die. That's how that's you're supposed to say it. <laughs> you hoo 
the third best more Bond, therefore the third best overall. I consider only the more films in the Living Daylights to be canon. Living Daylights? Jesus. Wow. That's the one where they uh, ski on a cello. That's a Dalton? Yeah, it's the first Dalton. It's got the lamer Debeau in it. Not Olivia, but Mariam. The lamer Debeau. Yeah, she's the one from that TV series. There's something out there about an alien, and they're like, it's stupid. Yafik Kato is briefly, literally full of himself by the end of this, suffering what I assume is catastrophic gastroesophageal porosis, exacerbated by punitive levels of flatus, brought on by consumption of tainted gumbo. I thought it was a bullet. I don't remember why Bossman goes pop. I spent most of the final reel laughing at the incompetence of a portly, belligerent sheriff. He just can't get anything done, and it frustrates him. Well, I like he how survives. Keith, I like how Keith Leith writes for you. Yeah, that is nice. Is he? Or am I just reading for him? <laughs> oh, it's a good one. Oh, this is better than mine. Damn it. There's so many hmm. good ones. Number two, Meaning of Life. Mr. Creasote. Come on, that one's great. No? Yeah, Dingus mentioned it. Yeah. He did? Yeah, that is a good one. I, I like it, but the pick is way for thin. <laughs> Tom doesn't like it, I can tell, because he's eating right he's, now. He doesn't get Python. He doesn't yeah, like I'm it. not. I, yeah, he doesn't get food humor. You nerd in your money, Python. He doesn't like violence against birds, and he doesn't like people making fun of bishops. <laughs> Ew, it's a dead parrot. It walks like this. It's a funny department. It's not violent against the bird. <laughs> oh, I'm pretending the coconuts um, are a horse. Oh, it's so funny. That's pretty funny. She turned me to a witch and then small pebbles in a newt. He got better. I'm not dead yet. They put a carrot on her face, huh? Because they wanted to frame her up in an oil can. Is that anachronistic? Holy hand grenade. <laughs> it'll be, it'll you know be no more than two seven, and no less than nine, four. Ten. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Gilliam <laughs> loves showering actors with filth. Just one of his good qualities. He didn't like the priests banging their heads. Here's the, the thing. Wagon. Here's the deal. No, seriously. Here's the deal. I like yeah. Monty Python. My problem is people describing Monty Doing them. thinking that it is funny when they do it. Monty Python is funny. You telling me about Monty Python? You quoting Monty Python? No. Leave it to the professionals. They know what they're doing. When it's one part removed, it's, it's just annoying. But Monty Python itself, those guys are great, of course. I think it's annoying when anyone does any impression from a movie. <laughs> I do too. Number one, Outland. The yes, pressure gets nice. too little for some miners. The pressure gets too little for some miners. That's pretty good. But my favorite is the hitman trapped by Cliff Clavin's mom because he looks like the bassist from Can. A film that, like the previous Alien, signified that SF would mature and be characterized by cold realism, the stark inert beauty of the cosmos simultaneously contrasting with the humdrum existence of humanity and enhancing the perilous fragility of life, allowing filmmakers to examine the personal and the political. 
But no, mainstream SF is half a dozen impregnable wisecracking heroes retrieving a CG gizmo. It's blue and conical on this one. One of them's a badger. One of them's green. Some are familiar with the 80s pop culture. Some aren't. Remember Airwolf? So is this sassy armadillo. Thanks, George Lucas. <laughs> wow. I remember Airwolf. I remember Airwolf. Uh, it seemed weird he was the only one, but like wolves are like packs of things. All right, whatever. Arthur Shavonicelli, ay, ay, ay. He writes, number three, The Dark Knight. That one disturbed thug the Joker places a bomb inside oh, of in order course, to blow up right. the police station. Yeah. Yeah. The image of the phone beneath the guy's skin is really haunting, especially since it's accompanied by a messily stitched wound. See, it's like King yeah. Centipede. Does he Number explode? Two. I don't. I don't remember how the scene resolves. I know that's stupid, but he blows up. About we don't this. see it. But the dude does. It's blow like up. they figure out it's a bomb, and then he explodes off. You're like, oh my god! You're supposed to be tripping on the the twist. But it does happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A it happens in, in, a, in a PG-13 way. Right. Um, but a lot of shit gets destroyed and killed in that movie, as opposed to Dark Knight Rises, where the cops are like lowered food. And ugh. number two, the Hurt Locker. Jeremy Renner and Anthony Mackie desperately try to free an Iraqi citizen from a deadly bomb vest, but ultimately realize they won't be able to do it in time. Before Renner runs away from the doomed man, he tries to make him understand that he's sorry. A message I'm not sure got through to the Iraqi. When the man finally explodes, it's pretty devastating. So I, yeah, I love that scene, and I thought about that one. But mm-hmm. the guy doesn't actually explode; the vest explodes, and it yeah. blows him up. That was the I problem. Mean, I had to be fair, that just explosions happening where people get exploded, rather than when the planet the Melancholia explodes, the chandeliers explode. It doesn't explode; it hits Kirsten Dunst in the face. It does not explode. So, isn't squashed. there? A kid who has a cell phone inside him. In- yeah, they have the little kids selling the DVDs. They they disembowel, and they're going to make a bomb out of him. Yeah. Right, but does he explode? Takes me back. No, I don't think so. They find him okay. They find him where they're going to rig him up as a bomb, but I don't think they ever actually did it. Yeah. Okay, all right. Talk about losing your phone. Number one, from Arthur Chauvin and Jelly, Watchmen. When Rorschach, Jack Hero Haley, refuses to keep Ozymandias' secret, he tries oh. to leave, but is stopped by Dr. Manhattan. In order to protect the peace that Ozymandias achieved through murder, Manhattan kills Rorschach using his normal method. He blows him up in a shower of gore with his right. hands. That's I love this moment so much. Yeah. Good one, Arthur. Yeah. Well, I, you know, he does that with the when he's marching through, in, in giant form, marching through Vietnam as well. Uh, yeah. I didn't know if that was disintegration or explosion. Well, I, I remember Rorschach is a big bloody mess. Like, there's a whole the oh, aftermath of Rorschach definitely implies yeah, there's a residue. explosion. Yeah, and not just disintegration. Oh, okay. Right. He might disintegrate the Vietnamese and save the exploding for Rorschach, maybe. But I definitely remember Rorschach having, like, a blood splatter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I okay. remember thinking that it was from the comic where he looks like a Rorschach blot with all of his blood stains. You know, I'm wondering too if it's just it's not. pictures of that or if it's oh, it is in the movie. It's in the movie and not the comic. Oh, I thought it was from the comic. I go, oh, I think I've seen this. Yeah, I remember that shot. And then I went back and looked at the comic, and it wasn't. And all I was right, like, what? Look at that. Zack Snyder. Yeah, improving on Neil Gaiman. Like you do. 
It also makes that character look kind of lame too. Like here, I made your I made your whole thing. I made your name like a pun by killing you. You lose, sir. I love this moment so much. It's heartbreaking and very well shot. I love the stationary snowflakes that surround the two characters. Such a beautiful touch. I actually think this is a great movie. I'm a Watchmen apologist. A totally underrated superhero film that's a breath of fresh air compared to repetitive and predictable superhero movies that are all too common these days. I'm really disappointed in you, Kelly Wand. Uh, okay. Chris Markardson writes... <laughs> Hey guys, I'm afraid my picks aren't original. Number three, Watchmen. Making people explode seems to be Dr. Manhattan's go-to move, be it NBA soldiers or other more sympathetic characters. Number two, Dark Knight. Good way to escape from police custody is to implant explosives in a low-level henchman. Number one, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, of course. Thunder has an adverse reaction when he sees what's happened to his master. Thanks. That's a great Rob Bottin effect, I believe. That's like you can see what he's going to do with the thing, or did with the thing. I forget where thing that blows was. up too, just like Jaws does. Things that's not the thing doesn't have a name, <laughs> and Jaws doesn't have a name. That's its name. It's not its name. He's I'm disappointed you didn't correct me about Neil Gaiman writing Watchmen, which makes me think you don't know who really wrote it. Ah, I got you. No, don't even – no. Let's move on to runners-up. You don't know who wrote Watchmen. You're not a nerd. You're a terrible nerd. You suck oh, at Oh, did you say he did? I don't know. All right, runners-up. Oh, was that it, Kelly Wander? There that more. No. Uh, oh, carry on. In the middle of your imagining something just happened involving <laughs> Neil Gaiman. <laughs> was this just now? <laughs> well, who wrote Watchmen? Was somebody – Tell I don't. I don't Alan know. Alan Moore I just, did. Uh, see, he only knows that because I told him that. And one Neil time, Gaiman Davis. wrote oh. Sandman. And so Coral. With a band in the title. And Study kind of. And Preacher. That was Garth Ennis, you fuck. <laughs> I can't get one over on you. You're good, Kelly Wand. You're good. When I'm paying attention, that's that's your weak uh, link. Is when I actually listen to you. The so it doesn't come up very often. Number three. Oh, wait. Lucas Necessary writes, Hal 9000 here. I thought of the dumbest one first, so I won't include it, but it rhymes with give and let fly. <laughs> That's the dumbest one. Number one, Tropic Thunder. Damien Cockburn wanders around foolishly like a dumb, flightless emu and subsequently steps on a mine and explodes. Warm, blood-flavored corn syrup. Yeah, Steve Coogan? His name is Damien Cockburn? Yeah, because he's British. So, Damien. Number two, that Kingsman movie. I didn't like this, but my girlfriend did. She thought that the exploding heads were pretty, so in deference to her, it's number two. Heads. Yeah. Heads aren't people, except in... Except if they're robots, and then we'll accept even fingers. (sighs) Dingus. Look. A robot is a head. Like, Ash's head was You're a robot. Head. That's a good point. Number three. I was going to say Edge of Tomorrow, but I'm afraid i get pulled over since I'm not sure Cruz ever actually exploded. He might have just died from concussive forces from nearby explosions. Please strike this one from the record. <laughs> Nick D writes... Number three, Dark Knight. Despite getting captured, Joker gets dropped. Batman. 
police surgically find a cell phone bomb. And he tells the cops to give him a phone call. She's a South Union bomb. Number two, Iron Man 3. John Favreau, a.k.a. Happy, follows James Badge Dale to the Chinese oh. theater and observes what appears to be a drug deal. I remember this. That's three, yeah, can, right? Can you regulate? That's good. This is a good one. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just reading it. But then suddenly the junkie explodes, which thankfully blasts Happy out of the rest of the movie. Get out of here, Favreau. Number one, Cloverfield. One of the best, most grisly moments in the movie is when Lizzie Kaplan gets bitten by one of the weird bug things, so the military rushes her behind a screen where she suddenly explodes like a water balloon, spraying blood everywhere. God, that's just so, that should be my number one. It's so good. It was a really good choice. I just I get so freaked out by that because I, I guess I partly because I like Lizzie Kaplan so much. But yeah, no, she's great. We all like her. She's one of the most. That's the thing. She's the most likable character in the movie, and she gets the worst death or most and, brutal. And Tom's right to thank Matt Reeves because he hides it. I mean, I like the way he hides it. In that case, I do because it somehow is worse because you see. I don't know. It's one of the things where your imagination is picking up the slack. Really. Yep. Yep. Because in these other ones, we do see it, and I still gravitate to Cloverfield over the ones I can describe, like the Fury. Like, compare the Fury to fucking Cloverfield. Does Palma seeing Cloverfield? Doubtful. Chris Webb writes... <laughs> My two picks involve the entire body exploding, unlike some people who just chose an exploding head. Nice. Really? Although that one is pretty sweet. I thought of this one, too. Val Kilmer gets grenaded at the end of MacGruber. He gets grenaded? Yeah, well, he's... Yeah, he gets blown Does up. Does he eat it. the grenade and it goes inside his body? No, it gets body shot down at him. So you can just well, use any bomb. Thanks, Chris. He's not a robot. You can explode heads all you want. Number Let's one, use bombs. Then you don't get to. You don't get to. You don't get to. You don't get to <laughs> criticize my exploding head if you can't be bothered to do an exploding body. Who are you talking to? Chris <laughs> Webb. He so thinks that Chris Webb. He thinks that Chris Webb is talking about rubber. Chris Webb is talking oh, yeah, about scanners. He He's assuming. I'm surprised nobody's brought up scanners. No, He's Webb assuming is, that's what everyone's thinking of. Chris Webb is listening live right now. He is. That's fun. <laughs> is that true? Chris Webb is obviously assuming what I thought, and I'm surprised. Scanners is what comes to mind for everyone, I'm sure, never, but it's, it's just the that. guy's head. Yeah, yeah the sure. rest of them fine. Scanners is it's, dumb. It really is good news, bad news. The good news is your body's great, <laughs> and you're not bald anymore. <laughs> Number one of Chris Webb, Lizzie Kaplan silhouette, Cloverfield, very sad. That's it. Chris Webb wrapped us up with Cloverfield. Yay, Chris Webb. All right. Runners up. None. They've all been mentioned. I thought of, uh, there was a good one in uh, Dead Presidents where they go to Vietnam and a dude just steps on a, you hear him step on the thing, like the trip. It's kind of like Tropic Thunder, but not funny. And then he turns back and looks, and he just, like, disintegrates. It's really so he good. Steps on a, he steps on a mine, is what Trip you're saying. Tripwire? Yeah, he steps on a mine. It doesn't count. And there's a moment of silence, and then he blows up. Does that count? His whole body explodes, though. 
That's nice. We can do we can do explosions all day long, but that's not what I thought it, this topic was. What was your number oh one pick, Kelly? Let's go back to those fun days. Do you remember what your number one uh, pick was? Me, Slither. Yeah. yeah. See, that's an exploding person. <laughs> I kept trying to make uh, X, a couple X Men things work, like when. Um, oh well, Phoenix when, kind of exploded. Well, Phoenix explodes. Uh, Cyclops probably exploded. Yeah, but there's a. How can we replace Mars where in she, the reboot? What? Where she explodes Professor X. In the, in right. The, no, that's a good one. Else. That's a good one. Um, yeah. But I was first going along the X Men route when I was thinking about First Class, when Kevin Bacon uh, takes that the energy ball from um, Havoc and puts it in uh, Darwin's mouth. But he doesn't really explode. He just kind of crumbles. Or when he does that grenade thing with the general, which, you know, if Chris Webb's rules are we can use grenades, then I could use that. <laughs> but, uh, I, I think I in Rambo 3, Rambo 3, he uses a grenade to blow up a Russian in a cave. And it blows up. He puts it in his mouth or his head or something, but it blows up the whole Russian. Oh, it's oh. the Afghanistan one. Oh, well, there's a sort of a reverse of that with, uh, oh, is it Fickner? William Fickner in Dark Knight, where he gets a grenade in his mouth? Well, it's a smoke grenade. It's a smoke grenade. Uh, Denzel Washington in Man on Fire makes a, an ass bomb for someone, and it goes off. Really? Yeah. Hmm. His character's name is Creasy. And uh, the, I think it's the talented Fanning is in that one. She calls him Creasy Bear. It's really cute. But, but then he puts a bomb in someone's butt, and it's not so cute. His first name is Jeezy. Dad, <laughs> don't call me Jeezy crazy. What about when Nina Jones got uh, blown up, exploded in Crystal Skull by the nuclear weapon? <laughs> nope. He was refrigerated. Oh, right. It's like a All bomb right. shelter for food. Dingus, play us over to next week. What is next week's 3x3? Three three? How can folks participate? All right. Um... <laughs> uh oh <laughs> yeah that's unusual yeah that level of de- de- depression you don't hear that a lot before a three no. by three uh mm-hmm. i've uh part part of this is based on my reaction to um the movie we saw this week and then trying to confront it uh and also seeing the i've had this i've had part of this uh this subject on deck for a while as a possible um, topic. So um, basically we're going to have to, and I'm sorry to do this to everybody, but we're going to have to talk about sexual assault next week. <laughs> so this is three by three sexual assault. And um, I would encourage you not just to go for something that's just straight out rape like i would like to take irreversible off the table for instance oh wait what are you asking us to do uh i'm actually i'm asking you to think about sexual assault in other ways um not on the table some of this is political uh i'm not saying that that uh rape isn't something that we're going to talk about because we certainly can Uh, and you can use that uh, I'm just asking you to think about uh, to be a little more creative when you're thinking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know creative is a terrible way to put it. Um, different ways sexual assault might appear in movies. Uh, we will uh, certainly talk you mean about rape. Subtly? 
Is that what you're? No, and, and it's it's difficult for me to talk about this because it's a topic I want to shy away from. So it means that it's a topic I should probably talk about. Well, I just don't understand that. Like what? Like not favorite rapes, obviously, but can you give no, us no, a this framework? Is not favorite in, in rapes, which, but what? What? It, yeah, what's the framework for us to pick three movies? Like what? How would you phrase this? Uh, you're talking about the uh, probably the uh, most effective portrayals of sexual assault in movies, or or things that. Uh, might be surprising examples of sexual assault that that people might not think of as sexual assault in movies, um, which oh, might okay. some interesting discussions of uh, ideas of what sexual assault is uh, in certain movies. Huh. Does that make more sense, Tom? Uh, I, I guess, but like I think of effective portrayal of sexual assault as different from like different ways of portraying sexual I, I don't know i mean I, I, there's a lot to work with there i'm just uh i guess i'm i'm not like it's it's always helpful for me in a three by three to have a, a short concise description like exploding people it's a person it blows up sometimes it's a robot like uh effective sexual assault portrayals okay i mean that that's you mean effective poignant or i mean that's the thing is effective can mean presented uh, shot thematic acted it's what you want it to mean i guess i mean yeah it's uh, pretty subjective but yeah it's 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 a little more subjective than that um it's not a funny topic so it's a little more difficult well no um and we've kind of talked about it a little bit so i don't uh, this week uh, i don't expect a lot of people to contribute but it is more of a thought experiment as far as looking at different ways uh, sexual assault is portrayed in movies. Okay. Yeah. I might get pulled over a lot. I don't know. Because you, you're making me really think of like ones that are questionable. <laughs> that's okay. Um, that's right. I mean, they're. Because um, movies play I, fast and loose sometimes with. Uh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And that's. That's okay. I mean, uh, we had a difficult time a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the transgender topic, um, and so I was thinking about that this this week, also in a political way, but also because of the movie that we saw. Right, and so, uh, anyway, people listening uh, might, if they want to contribute, how would they uh, send in their picks? Uh, if you would like to contribute to. Um, your thoughts about uh, how uh, sexual assault is uh, portrayed in movies, uh, either effectively or non-effectively. I mean, I I think uh, you're, you're right, sort of to call me out on that, Tom, uh, as far as like what effective means, but it can also be non-effective. Um, then you can write into three by three. That's three x three at quarter to three dot com. Um, and uh, so that's 3x3 at quarter3.com. And if you have thoughts about our next movie that we're going to be doing next week, um, please send in your thoughts about that as well. I don't know what movie that is, though. Right. It's going to be a surprise uh, to you guys right now. So we didn't uh, – Kelly wanted to see it. Dingus and I have no desire to see another crappy Stephen King adaptation. So we balked, and uh, Kelly relented, and instead we're going to do a podcast – about Michael Apted's latest movie called, I had to look this up because I keep forgetting, Unlocked. 
<laughs> yep. It's got a great actress, a not-so-very-good actress, a cool actor, and an actor that Dingus and I know personally. Hmm. So, uh, And it's a Michael wow. Acton movie. don't even know the genre, uh, but yeah, let's check it out. It's available for streaming, um, and Dingus loves that Thunderhawk movie, so... Thunderheart, yeah. Yeah, that one too, sure. So we'll see what Michael Apted has been up to. Uh, if you see it, send us uh, your thoughts in a separate email to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3 com. We'll discuss that. And, uh, yeah, whatever happens, I can promise you it will be a very different and uh, different discussion than we normally have about sexual assault in movies. We'll have that afterwards. So join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkonski. Yeah, it's Christian Murkonski. Mm, I don't think so. And also Kelly Wand. Just call me uh – Kelly Unlucky Locked. Mama's making Mimi's pizza on the stereo, singing about freedom, bugs in the bedroom, big investigation. Danger to the nation Search and seizure Better by a lawyer We know your members Man, there's so many scary moments in the Alien movies But oh, if I could just narrow it down to one Like just terrifying moment I prefer that we be more capable and prepared Than lucky Observation, reflection, faith and determination In this way we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us all right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. See, Dingus, that's how you explain whether something's an exploding body or not. You just point to it when it's on the bridge, and you go, that's what it is. See? You're an adult, barely. Aw. I'll take the C+.